It's the year of the Brokovich. Assert dominance by putting out a cigarette with the palm of your hand. And listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 11 to 11 to 1. No, <laughs> 111. <laughs> uh, and my name's Jakob. And my name's Randy. And today, we are beginning our March mini, let's just say mini marathon, mini retrospective, a comprehensive-ish survey of Brandon Lee's feature starring roles uh because if uh, well if if you need reminding this this march come 31st of march we will be observing the 30th anniversary of his passing so with that we just scheduled four episodes in a row where we'll go through all of his starring roles and we're starting today with legacy of rage and laser mission but before we do that traditional patron plug patreon.com slash uncut gems pod is where you want to go to listen to our extra shizzle three bucks a month worth of support is opening access to pretty much everything pretty much everything that we have in there uh, which is just in excess of 40 podcasts and this month we were adding erin brokovich as uh, the uh, shallow cut pairing to our deep cut shallow cut sort of steven soderberg project that we're doing across the year and a little bit more uh, and this is just a gentle reminder that I think last week we uh, recorded, I mean, we released the uh, our conversation with, um, which we also had with our, our good buddy Ian on The Limey. So go and listen to that. So The Limey on the main show, Aaron Brokovich is now available to listen on our Patreon. And then later in the month, we'll also do a pairing, a bonus tie into this series, the Brandon Lee series, and where we'll be talking about Game of Death, which is last film with bruce lee i don't well just go and listen to to the show because this is a conversation whether this is a last bruce lee film or a last film with bruce lee so you'll find out more and then also on the uh as tradition dictates our, our 2023 marathon uh of john cassavetti cinema will continue on the last wednesday of the month uh and we'll be talking about the child is waiting so i think this is everything i needed to plug so i think Without further ado, let's just dive into the cinema of Brandon Lee. So I think before we even go and start talking about the movies, I think it probably it's probably worth if we're doing this as a mini marathon. So let's just do a pared down, scaled down version of what we're doing with like John Cassavetes and what we did with uh, David Lynch. So a few words about the man himself, right? So born on February first, nineteen sixty-five, uh, and he was the son of Bruce Lee, right? Um, so he like. He was eight when his when his dad died, uh, tragically, and um, because he was thirty two at the time, and he he died in nineteen seventy three, and then Brandon died in nineteen ninety three. Uh, just almost to uh, just almost to, uh, to 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 no, hold on, like a few months after would be twenty years after after his father passed. So eerie, right? However, before his death, so Bruce managed to kind of inject him with with a passion for martial arts. Um, so 
Brandon trained under his eye when he was very, very young. And then after his, um, so when, before he died, so he, he was kind of moving between Hong Kong and, and the US. So he was fluent in Cantonese uh, and in, well, in English because he was, well, his mother was American. So after his father died, they moved to California, to Oakland, and he studied, he continued studying uh, martial arts under Dan Inosanto, Richard Bustillo, and Jeff Imada. And Jeff Imada is an important name because he kind of reoccurs in his in a, in a, in his biography as because he's a stunt coordinator who just kept kind of re he he worked with Bruce Lee and then he worked on movies that and ended up kind of just having Brandon Lee in them anyway. But he he trained under under their sort of tutelage because uh, they were all students of Bruce Lee's uh, themselves. However, he kind of struggled with his identity identity a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean kind of quite a lot because he studied in the dojos that his father started. So with his father's pictures plastered all over the shop. So he kind of felt a little bit, I think he may have felt intimidated. So he abandoned martial arts and then in favor of football or as the Americans call it, soccer. I'm not going to get into it. I, I don't have a dog in this fight. Really, actually, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> but you know, um, was a bit of a rebel in school. He got kicked out of high school. And so he went through a few phases, I suppose. And then he went on to study acting in New York in uh, the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. And then fun fact, he also managed to act. And I think he starred maybe even in the in a play, uh, Full Fed Beast. And that was directed by John Lee Hancock. And if you don't know who John Lee Hancock is, he's a guy who did The Founder, um, the, the film with Tom Hanks about Walt Disney, whose name was the... Oh, Saving Mr. Banks. That's the name. Right. That's, that's the one. And another one with Kevin Costner. The Howard, I think it's the Highwaymen. Oh, that yeah. I think you're right for Netflix. And he, he also did, was he not Blindside? And was the, the yes. Alamo? Yes. The Alamo? Yes. He, yeah. The Blindside. Yeah. So he, he, he managed to direct Sandra Bullock to an Oscar. So, you know. Uh, I think, you know, like some in some circles, John Lee Hancock is like sort of like the modern epitome of, of Oscar-bation. But, uh, but anyway, so Brandon Lee kind of just worked with him on stage and then he moved to LA uh, and then he got cast in Kung Fu, the movie in 1985. And that was his first sort of um, interaction with film um, where he was cast to, to play opposite David Carradine David Carradine or Robert Carradine? David, wasn't it? David, yeah. <laughs> so and he, when he was like, I think he was cast as a villain sidekick in there. And then, by the way, just to, well, fair enough. He was actually talked into this into this role by Jeff Imada again. Like he comes back uh, into his biography because he didn't really want to do this. I mean, people thought thought it would he would be great for the role, but he didn't want want to do this because he didn't want to follow his father's footsteps. Allegedly, right? He didn't really want to do martial arts. He didn't want to do. Uh, that kind of movie making so um and the fun, another fun fact that kung fu the movie was kind of like an end no, was like a post script to the series right because the series kind of ended in the 70s and they decided to kind of resurrect it for this for this tv movie and then another fun fact is that the kung fu the movie like the, the legend goes that it was the idea was stolen from bruce lee because bruce lee allegedly in like had this idea first and then i don't know but like you, you can't figure it out because the guy's dead so you, you can't go and ask him right but there's that's the legend that apparently kung fu the, uh, the tv show was like 
originated with Bruce Lee in some fashion. So it, 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 again, eerie symmetry, right? Um, so that happened. And then uh, he moved to Hong Kong to work on Legacy of Rage for Ronnie Yu. So let's just talk about Legacy of Rage. How many, sir? Get lost and get the manager. How much do you want? Fifty thousand. Too much? No, not really. But you, you see, I'm just the manager, not the boss here. I'll go and ask the owner. <laughs> Take me for a jerk. Save your breath if you're not the boss of this joint and get somebody I can talk to. Oh. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Legacy of Rage was written by Clifton Cowe and then directed by Ronnie Yu and was Brandon Lee's feature debut. And it also starts, uh, stars Michael Wong and uh, Regina Kent and features a cameo from Bolo Young, um, another Bruce Lee connection because he was the one of the one of the antagonists in Enter the Dragon, which was just technically, technically Bruce Lee's last film, right? Mm-hmm. So... so we're gonna like I have an I have a note on this anyway. Like we're gonna get to it later. But it's, anyway, the film kind of tells the story of this guy whose name is Brandon, <laughs> it's Brandon Ma, and he works two jobs to support his girlfriend and I suppose like I don't know like save up for a bike for a motorbike. Um, I wonder if his girlfriend's in the film is called Regina as well. No, she's her name no, is May. She's May. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, but his but he's friends with a guy. Called Michael, Michael Wan, like played by Michael Wong. <laughs> uh, so, and then uh, he, who's the son of the local, the local crime lord, and he is himself a bit of a ruthless, ruthless gangster. And um, as a result, sort of of this sort of friendship, Brandon ends up uh, set up by his friend and kind of betrayed. Mm-hmm. And because he uses him as a scapegoat to frame him for a murder of a corrupt pl- police detective that. They, they just find, um, as you say, inconvenient, uh, which lands Brandon in prison. And then, you know, and then oh, also he takes his girlfriend too as well. So anyway, so Brandon swears uh, that he would take his revenge in the kind of movie that goes from there. And like realistically, uh, the movie has like 35 minutes left from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, more, a little bit more. <laughs> Anyway, so that was the only movie that Brandon Lee made in Hong Kong and it was filmed in Cantonese, I think, originally, but it was dubbed in English. And it was, weirdly enough, it was released in Cannes Film Festival and was critical success there. Commercially, it did very well in Japan, and but in, in the US, I think it went straight to video. But then I think later on, after, specifically after 1993, 
after uh, after Brandon Lee died, he became he, he had a bit of a resurgence as a cult classic. But I think even before that, it was considered as a B movie classic. Uh, so you know what? I, I'm gonna stop talking. You tell me what you think about Legacy of Rage, <laughs> <laughs> and then or just if you, as uh, 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 just uh, I don't know if, if if you want like if you have any history with with Brandon Lee as well, like might as well weave it into here. Well. Uh, yeah, sure. Like with Brandon Lee, largely my my history with him uh, revolves around The Crow, and you know he his stardom was just was just beginning. I think people, I was aware of Rapid Fire. I saw Rapid Fire. Um, I saw Showdown in Little Tokyo after uh, I had seen The Crow, um, but I was certainly aware of his this this guy that was out there who seemed to be a rising star like the the crow was a a film that was highly touted for miramax for a while um back in 92 and 93 whenever it was uh, in in production um so yeah i was sort of aware of the guy but my history largely just goes to rapid fire and the crow and then uh i i did see a showdown in little tokyo somewhere along the way so uh the two films that we're doing today legacy of rage and laser mission there that's a brand new brand brand new stuff for me brand new brandon uh for me so, you can't make this up can you <laughs> yeah, no you just stumble across it uh so so um yeah and anyway i i always sort of liked a little bit that I saw in Brandon Lee. I, I felt that he had a little bit of a, a swagger. I wasn't too familiar with Bruce Lee until really last year when we did Enter the Dragon and I watched uh, you know Game of uh, Death recently as well, but also last year I watched Fists of Fury. So um, anyway, about, about Brandon, I... I liked him he very much a cult status though because of just you know his his death right that, that sort of hung over Hollywood in this weird way and there was this uh you know cult appeal instantly to the crow and the just with the thematics of crow like it was very uh it was a very interesting sort of story to sort of follow just as I was following Hollywood and Hollywood news at the time so um that's really my history with uh you know Brandon Lee and, and you know I I liked a little bit that I saw of him. Now in terms of Legacy of Rage, starting with this film, this I I'd, I'd never seen this before. Um, and to be honest, even though like it's very much a Hong Kong action film, and I actually sort of like it. It's it's perfectly fine, but it is completely disposable. And, you know, if you don't sort of tune the frequency to the right way, you can just sort of process it as trash and sort of be upset with yourself for wasting time. But if you do, <laughs> if you do sort of tune in correctly, you can have a decent time with this. It's, you know, but it, but it is uh, disposable in the way that, um, you know, B movies that were going straight to video in the 80s and 90s were like, it does have that type of a feel, even though it's a little bit more hong kong in in its style um i'll say this i watched this last week last weekend and yesterday and the day before i began getting nervous because like i don't remember anything (laughs) from this movie it's like me and anaconda last year like Like, why on earth is just (laughs) has the information just bled out of me what was it about and maybe because i i was watching laser mission too i was like maybe this was sort of mixing me up but anyway so i had to rewatch legacy of rage last night uh (laughs) i started falling asleep so i had to finish watching it this morning uh so at any rate i do have a full 
watch of it but i it is for some reason one of those films that um it it does sort of pass right through me but i will say it it's a decent little action film there is nothing too terrible much special within it um the action scenes are good but they're not necessarily special um God, I, I I hate that I'm being so vague, but you know it's just one of these films I struggle to get too uh, too much out of. What I will add this though, I find Brandon Lee um, he does have a bit of a swagger and a charm, and he fits as a star. I can see where he may have turned into a bit of a star, like in the 1990s, the star system was you know still a thing, and I could see that he could become that guy. But what's interesting is and even in your sort of talking about his bio- biography and his sort of his history and him developing into the man that he became and the professional that he became, I find it interesting here that this film and Laser Mission for that matter is largely about gun action. It is not martial arts. Like this is action action. This is 1980s action, <laughs> Hong Kong action, uh, much more than it is about any type of martial arts. And, you know, Brandon Lee as a kid, kid according to his grandmother, was uh, busting blocks of wood at age five. Like, like he was, you know, he was trained and I presume very seriously trained for a long, long time. Like he, martial arts is not just in his blood genetically, his, but his granny trained. may have been embellishing, right? Because this is what grannies do. He's Maybe. the best in the world. <laughs> but but he's better I, than, his, than his father. But you said yourself, like he was he was trained by these these guys, right? So mm-hmm. um it's interesting to me that it seems that it's a very specific choice to not incorporate more uh more uh martial arts right mm-hmm. uh, there's a little bit and you know there's a little bit of fisticuffs but you know you can watch these movies and get the impression that you know this guy is not a martial arts star like you know like you would not confuse this film for a van damme film you know at least from the era it's not about showcasing martial arts at all and i find that interesting um but yeah that's a, that's me on this this is a perfectly okay movie i, I it's it is a nice little movie i'm interested in the the ronnie Yu connection who he was one of the hong kong exports so he ended up making uh some films in hollywood so the fact that he's a little bit of a name i can i can see some some talent in here like this is strung together nicely it's it's colorful it's, it's uh some some good looking action but it's, man it's just sort of disposable to me though mm-hmm. and that's me i hear you i hear you. <laughs> i mean if i think it's all it, it's all down to um, I think it's it's down to kind of how you want to take the movie, right? Because if you, if, I think you kind of just hit it correctly, right? When you say like, if you if you sit down with your arms crossed, you can easily take this take this as trash, yeah. or no, hold on, you can take it as garbage, yes, and <laughs> or you can take it as trash, and then if you take it as trash, it's fun trash, um, because I don't, I you know, I. I, I I'll be honest with you. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Good. Like I, I, I liked it because it's kind of one of those movies that just like doesn't really get made, and uh, and then this is like I, I was watching this and I had this sort of flashbacks to our conversation like way a year ago on City on Fire, mm-hmm. where we just talked briefly about Hong Kong cinema, um, and then how at least in my mind it's kind of like 
Hollywood movies and reenacted by amateurs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it's uh so it kind of feels to me like that. But there are interesting wrinkles to this movie, and I kind of I'm just kind of just really looking forward to kind of digging into them. But just film film as a whole is is I, I totally agree. It's like full on Hong Kong action filmmaking, as in it's very rough around the edges, extremely disposable in terms of the narrative, like as in. If you look at the plot and the story and the characters, really doesn't really, it doesn't say anything else apart from what's on the page, right? That's kind of what it is. It's just a revenge story, just a very canonical revenge story that doesn't really just color outside the lines very much. It doesn't attempt to smuggle any conversation into the operation. So I can't blame you for just completely wiping it out of your memory after a few days because it's it doesn't really leave you with anything to chew on which normally i would say yeah this is okay well this is kind of a notch against the movie okay this is a little bit okay just you, you could actually just knock the movie for being shallow but then again at the same time i don't think this is the film's aspiration in any in any sort of measurable way i think the film is trying to just produce entertainment and then that's all this is so, uh, yeah, yeah, agree. And I think they're going about it earnestly, like I would I would add. So one conversation that we had recently about space rage could creep its way into here too, because I think in that instance It will, yes. It was it's sort of a, a very insincere effort. But here I think it's people that are just yeah, just not necessarily trying to have fun, but they're trying to put their best foot forward and, and create entertainment. I think you sort of hit it on the head with that. Yeah. So I mean there are certain uh, like you've touched on on this yourself, so so it, like we can actually just I I could start I could actually just pull a uh, uh, pull on one of the three three kind of threads you kind of left me in here to, <laughs> to just start us off. Um, so let's just like, you know let's just start with this as in like how does it fit as a sort of Hong Kong film and then does it actually reinforce any of your sort of notions about what hong kong cinema is and i think in this sort of regard i think i might as well just also just quickly like, let's just do that these two of these at a time because i think it's relevant ronnie Yu's on record i think he mentions that he had to do some rewrites on this film because brandon lee didn't really want to do martial arts because mm-hmm. the movie as he saw it wasn't wasn't a martial arts film <laughs> martial arts film <laughs> Right, but as a result of Brandon Lee not being sort of too willing to just okay, I don't want to pigeonhole myself because because well for whatever reason, right? I suppose maybe because he didn't really want to be seen as he's trying to retrace his father's career, or or maybe it was almost too painful for him personally to try and follow in mm-hmm. the footsteps of of the man he barely knew, right? Mm-hmm. Because well, he passed away when he was dangerously young. Like this, this is a traumatic experience because you're already kind of lucid and aware of what's happening around you, but uh, but 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 still, you don't have the faculties to process that kind of grief. Like it's ridiculous, right? And then all of a sudden, you can find yourself in a situation where you probably you could wake up in the middle of the night and thinking to yourself, like I'm reliving my father's life. Like this, <laughs> so. So yeah, Ronnie, you had different sort of plans for this. So he rewrote um, the movie to include include what's you now called Gunfu, right? To kind of um, follow more in the footsteps of John Woo's, like A Better Tomorrow. Because I think A Better Tomorrow was already out by that time, right? Yeah, I think so. Because this was 86. Six, yes. Yeah. 
Th- think about like Brandon Lee as well. He's 20 when he's making it. And 21 when this movie hits. But maybe he was 21 when they were making this because I, I, I could probably easily imagine that they probably made it in like January and then just released it in Cannes in June. Or... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> possibly. But yeah, how, how does it kind of just fit into this sort of your understanding of what Hong Kong filmmaking is and how does it kind of maybe reinforce certain ideas or how does it kind of elevate, if any, ideas that you may have about this movie and how does Brandon Lee fit in as a sort of Hong Kong um, action lead I suppose right like it's a lot uh, of, a lot of stuff baked into one question I'm so sorry yeah, yeah. no um, and and fascinating all like you know it, it's not like I have seen a lot of Hong Kong cinema uh, but certainly my understanding of what was coming out of the 80s and we did talk about this on City on Fire um, and guys like Choi Hawk and John Woo, mid '80s or so, around the time of A Better Tomorrow, uh, around the time of this, um, they were starting to put in a a bit of style. We'll we'll say um, into this, and the gun fu type of thing was emerging. I don't know if if Ronnie Yu is one of these innovators. I hadn't really heard that he was, but this is around the time. Maybe he is taking some direct inspiration from uh, John Woo. Uh, I'm actually halfway interested in sort of looking at that. But certainly what I see, Hong Kong cinema of the time was uh, was definitely moving away from the martial arts stuff of the late 70s because that had had its run and they were enjoying uh, what I'll call mimicry of... Uh, uh, U.S. police procedurals, right? So, mm-hmm. and then in doing that, they were finding their own magic because they were just running around, you know, without permits through the street and <laughs> creating all kinds of chaos. And I love that in here, like, and you you see that, like, there's this uh, uh, guy on roller skates in the, basically the opening scene, and he's zipping around, and what he does, and the point of that character is like sort Robin. of beyond me. <laughs> but like, he nearly gets hit by a car a number of times, like, and it looks like he could very well be in a couple of the shots, be just sort of zipping through live traffic and cutting them off. And uh, at any rate, so I do get the sense here that. You know, there is this sense that we want to do what they do in Hollywood, but they've got a lot more money to invest in, you know, one episode of Hill Street Blues uh, than we have to put into a whole movie. But, you know, that's that's fine. We'll just we'll just go and do it. We know the shots that we want. We know what we want to cover. We'll just sort of uh, go do it. And I think there's that sort of gung ho guerrilla mentality. And I see that in here, too. But I, I also see that. Um, Ronnie Yu does have a nice uh, look like the cinematography on this is pretty good. Like there's some, you know, crisp colors and mm-hmm. um, the night, night footage night is, photography is always is pretty good. good. The night photography, yeah. actually, that's going to make an appearance. And there, there's something oh. splashy about pretty much every night sequence I can I can think of. Like so there, there's a um, there's a nice look. It's not just about going out and capturing something, but there's, you know, there's, there's good thoughtful lighting in, in different moments. Um, and then there's a, a gung ho let's we're all in on this, uh, approach to the stunts. Like some of these let's, you know, let's fight at the top of the staircase and then sort of jump off the second floor onto a piano. Some of this stuff, um, there's, there's just a, yeah, let's just go do it. Uh, mentality, which, 
which I love. I, I like because that's that sort of ups the production value when you don't have the resources for production value, I guess, in a way. So I see that Hong Kong uh, piece in here, although in a lot of ways, this feels like a junkie B action film. I, I feel that it's a little bit more like a, a Hong Kong film because there's this sort of enthusiasm slash recklessness to the actual shoot. And I feel that's in here. In terms of how Brandon Lee fits in here, um, yeah, I I find it I find it interesting. I said it before and, and you're saying that, well, there's actually a bit of back and forth about it with the, the director that he doesn't want to engage in too much uh, martial arts and it is more of a, the violence is more, more so through uh, guns, that type of thing. Um, you know, I hard to say exactly what Brandon Lee's uh, thoughts were. Like, he's he's just a young man. Like you said, he was only twenty when he was doing this. Um, he fits in nice. Like, he does have a presence. Like, I got to give him credit. Like, in in this movie, I feel that he has more potential as an actor than his dad ever did. Um, oh yes, it's kind <laughs> <yeah>. of my note. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like he does have a little bit of swagger. He's a bit of rough around the edges here too, and you don't really get his full performance because the the dialogue is crap. It's all ADR'd in later, uh, so you know the, we're missing a lot of pieces. But you still get a sense that he's got this presence and he's got this charm about him, um, and you know he fits into the action uh, sequences well whether it's uh you know uh martial arts or fist fighting or guns like he he does he does seem to fit nicely mm -hmm. yeah i mean i you know what i totally agree on this it's just like he's um i don't know if this is the fact that he's he's american as well so i i, I don't know if this is his sort of i, I don't know he kind of just comes comes across a little bit more familiar in a mm -hmm. way but then, like on the Brandon Lee thing, I was just like thinking to myself: Is is he being used as well? Like, I don't know. Is, is this something that people who actually are behind the camera, who are, have concocted this movie, you know, and they they know it. it's like we're making this sort of like we're having fun making this action procedural or whatever, or like this sort of movie that the movie itself kind of feels incredibly familiar as well. So we're making this movie that kind of just ticks all the boxes for like all the westerns and noir films and procedurals that you've possibly seen, and, pro and it's probably already like a soft remake of something that I've already seen. I can't put my finger on because it just feels so familiar with like the Prison Break and Revenge mm -hmm. and whatever. So it kind of just looks very, very eerily familiar. But anyway, like these people behind the camera, do you think they know? It's just like we're getting Bruce Lee's son to do this. Like he doesn't really quite know what he's what he's worth. And but then again, like if even if he's not good, like we have the sort of clout, the brand of the the brand of the Brandon Lee may mm -hmm. actually do something for us. Like we may actually get some exposure. And actually, they did because you know, like the movie ended up in Cannes, and people ended up going going nuts for it, right? So. Do you actually think there's any sort of validity to sort of say, like, is this like a cynical ploy on their behalf or is, or has he been this good in Kung Fu, the movie? Because I have not seen that. I, there's so much I don't know about Brandon Lee and his career and, you know, him as a professional and him, uh, you know, trying to find his way. And, uh, you know, maybe over this month, I'll try to dig into that if I can find some more, because it would be interesting to know. Honestly, I feel that if he was taken advantage of he his his first film probably would have been a hollywood film like i find it interesting mm -hmm. that his first film ends up being um, a hong kong film and i half wonder if that's a way for brandon lee to stay out of the limelight 
a little bit more. Like this is a guy, remember, it's not just his dad died when he was eight and, you know, he's got that mountain of, you know, uh, feelings and emotions. Like his dad was sort of the king of the world in a way Mm -hmm. when he died. So that's a whole other thing that you're sort of growing up, not just that, you know, your dad and your hero and, and, you know, the primary male role model in your life he was the primary male role model in so many people's lives. For like everyone. <laughs> you know, like, and yes. who knows? Like, like I I wonder, Brandon Lee's, uh, you know, thought process, he, he's probably a very, very uh, interesting and complicated fellow just in terms of sort of growing up through this. And my understanding is that his mom was, a, a really good and, and and caring and nurturing mom and probably tried to protect him from that. I think that she's a really strong character in her, in her right. Um, the little bit I know about her, um, but it's really hard to, to say from Brandon Lee's perspective, um, you know, why he makes certain choices, because I would think that um, if this guy was taking acting classes somewhere, I would think that agents or producers or, you know, Hollywood execs or someone would, you know, be trying to court him somehow into something, you know, if he's, if he's working on, on stage in New York, um, you know, and what, mm-hmm. what school it was, a, it was a renowned oh, school. Oh, Lee Strasberg's yeah. Institute. Right. So it wasn't a community college theater program. No, <laughs> this is a film. It wasn't this, the same this... acting class that Luis Guzman took in the uh, Limey. <laughs> no, it's the same acting class as the Sissy Spacek took. Yeah. So like, yeah. So, you know. yeah, like it's, gosh, it's one of, it's one of, oh, and Omar of. Sharif. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So to me, it's, it, I, in my head, I wonder if Brandon Lee's making uh, a choice. Well, if I have different opportunities, maybe I'll take one in Hong Kong first, because maybe I'm a little bit under the radar there because I have sort of grown up here. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's sort of my my thinking about it. I just uh, and yes, probably the Hong Kong folks are fully aware of it. Yes, a cynical look would probably be fair to say, oh, we've got the son of a legend here. So yeah, mm-hmm. let's let's use him, uh, and you know let's let's get this film into con. That could very well be part of the promotions promotions in terms of the application to the con film festival. It makes total sense. Uh, and it was a big hit in Japan and I, I think in Hong Kong as well. Um, it didn't make waves though in North America. And I'm, I, I'm just, I just wonder if that's partly because of Brandon Lee's influence. He just, he wanted to do something under the radar just to keep it sort of low key. I mean, Maybe. could have, could have not made big waves in America because America was kind of just doing other things, right? It was more, I think 1986 is what Rocky four. Uh, that mm-hmm. kind of era, yeah. so it's still big. Big action men are just ruling the box office, so it probably wouldn't have any chance to take, to take any money because it's not the kind of movie, right? I mean, I think that something like Legacy of Rage is the type of movie that you get. Like this here isn't too many degrees separated from Commando, for for instance. Well, you know. yeah, but it's uh, well. It 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 isn't too too many degrees of separation from something like Commando, sure. But then I think America probably needs to be primed for certain things because it's still culturally different, right? And then I think at least at the time, I mean, even still, like 
I mean, not, maybe not still, but you know, before the Me Too scandal, like Harvey Weinstein was like known for like saying, I think he was, he wanted, I think, Parasite remade or no, Snowpiercer remade, right? Mm-hmm. Because people wouldn't, no, no, he won't, he won't, sorry, like I'm just messing this up. He wanted this movie kind of almost buried and not released in America because he couldn't believe that this would make money because American audiences in his, in his mind wouldn't go out and go to a film where they have to read, right? So it's it's one of those that it's just, it just looks like it's it's like an action movie that you could like I could just watch a, a Ryan Gosling film instead, right? Like The Gray Man or whatever. Or like I could I could just watch Rambo three instead, right? And then because and then um and then I have to sit through something that's just trying to be a Hollywood film, but it's kind of shot elsewhere and kind of looks like it's not like people wouldn't get it. I don't think at the time. I mean, people weren't ready. I think John Wood had to ha- had to come in uh, with the sort of um, endorsement from filmmakers almost at, of the time to say, and yeah, well, like, th- th- this Hong Kong stuff is actually pretty good, guys. Like you should really check this yeah, out. Yeah, right? actually, you, you you may be right. Um, um, I, I still wonder though if, in part, this is of. I, I wonder if there are options because something like Bloodsport is mm-hmm. a year or two after this, and like so, there's still more room for action heroes potentially martial arts action heroes but like that's a canon the, film right and this feels like it could be a canon film there's yeah there's but canon films yeah canon films didn't really make money did they <laughs> no true but they they did seem to a lot of them find their way mm-hmm. on um on video shelves right so that that's where the money was and this mm-hmm. didn't really not in a big yeah. way I, mean, I suppose it's all it's all down to how it's marketed right but um, yeah for, for yeah, it I, I find it fascinating when you when the, the the idea where you mentioned like maybe this like the guy himself like this twenty year old guy who's trying to kind of just okay well he feels almost like he has a calling like he has to do this thing like he has to go into acting he has to express mm-hmm. himself that way for whatever reason like people have their reasons right and I don't know I don't want to psycho psychoanalyze a guy who's 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 been dead for like three decades now right but um uh. But I bet I'll, I'll, I'll maybe maybe just venture in, uh, uh, just a little conjecture and say like, well, he, he's trying to just maybe like if you're correct and you say like maybe he's he's taking advice from someone maybe from from like Jeff Imada, it's just go to Hong Kong, just like separate yourself from this lot and just do something on your own, like see see how you, see how you like it, right? He almost maybe inadvertently is retracing his father's footsteps. Because yes. he he's going there's back another, to do... There's another type of symmetry, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I have a feeling like maybe this is not cynical or maybe this is earnest. Someone's picking up on the fact that... I don't know if they cast Bolo Young for this or did, did they actually find him? It's like, we have Brandon Lee. Can we actually find some, some... Just make it fun, right? Because the movie almost opens. I think this is one of the first... Apart from, you know, like... Robin on roller skates getting his head blown off, right? Um, mm-hmm. Spoiler. I basically forgot anyway. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> this is what, like, it's, it's like the quest when it's just like, oh, no one remembers this. And I'm just like, I can go scene by scene for some reason, even thinking that I don't remember, right? It's just that's your superpower, it's man. Like Manchurian <laughs> candidate, just like stand up and just start reciting this. <laughs> uh, 
No, but I'm just thinking to myself, is this uh is this for real? Is this is because if if it's not, it's even better. Like if it's just completely coincidental, but I don't believe it is because they they got Bolo Young to be this sort of brash um, patron at the restaurant where Brandon is waiting tables, right? And then he mm. spills beer, like I want to say six beers on him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like yeah, and his and his manager who's like taking taking care of him, he just just tries to kind of just. I don't know. Settle down, this this big muscular hunk of meat, <laughs> right? And it just and then he just brings him another beer, and just he splashes it into Brandon's face. He's there. Now we're even. No, no, just just now. Now, now you see what it is, and then he points at him, and then just cut to a fight outside. Yeah, outside, right? yeah. How well, do you I feel can, about this? Well, I, my understanding is like I read somewhere that Bolo Young was just thrilled to have the opportunity to have this scene with Brandon Lee because of his connection. And he was also friends with his dad. Um, mm-hmm. And he found it that it was an honor to work with uh, Brandon Lee. So I found that interesting. So it's um, somehow, yeah, this is, this it feels is like just that a, actually, yeah. yeah, this is not a fluke of casting. I think that, you know, this is uh, somehow Bolo Young is, is brought into this, um, you know, for, for this purpose, you know, we've got this scene in here. Why don't we get, see if Bola Young would do it. Like, I, I think that's totally happened just because of connections and people, people knowing people. And uh, yeah, Bola Young was happy to do it. Because that's one of the few scenes in the film, by the way, where Brandon Lee's uh, doing martial arts, right? This is the sort of Jun Kundo kind of, like I'm probably butchering the name because he, this is what his father taught him, right? Like, so, so it's almost like, this is perfect. This is poetry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then he he beats his ass, and then the police come over, and it's like, "What happened here? Did you have a fight?" It's like, "What fight? I had, I, I got my hand, I got my ass handed to me." Yeah, <laughs> that's what Bolo Young says. Like he admits defeat. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, is this? Like, am I am I seeing things? Because I have a habit of seeing into into films and seeing things that are not there, but I still find it fun. But is this actually here? Like that this this is for reals? They're they're actually just somehow paying it like this is a this is the passing of the torch at least how i read it right? i think yeah i think this is a total nod to uh bruce lee and this is um yeah a hundred percent hundred percent i think that's what this is too and uh you know it's it's not a coincidence that he was he was cast uh, i think that he was he i think he was sought as soon as they mm-hmm. felt that they had um brandon lee uh sort of committed to this and too like if they're also bringing Brandon Lee in and then they have to sort of go back a little bit and sort of tinker with things. Then there's time with the production to, uh, you know, cast and do things a little differently, like if they're doing rewrites. Uh, so yeah, that makes total sense. And that's exactly what I, I feel the scene is too. It's, it's a nod to enter the dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, but then uh, from, I don't, I don't know if I'm actually seeing this correctly myself, but then this is a moment. This is almost the only moment where you see like an, like sort of like, well, me, me. Though there, there are a few seasons season in prison where there, there are some fisticuffs, but this is the one major fight. And actually, like when you mentioned like night photography, and this is like it, it always looks beautiful as well because I think Hong Kong is just a wet city as well, and it just mm-hmm. rains a lot. And I think people kind of realize the thing. Like Americans had to just go if they shot outside, they would have to hire a, a, a like a truck to go and just wet the streets. So yeah, that it would look nice. That's a Michael right. Mann thing. He started doing that in Thief, and then everyone started doing it. it was it in the eighties? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought like Scorsese started doing this. I don't know, but it, it makes total sense for Michael Mann. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 
um, yeah, and I'm just wondering, like, is this is this just the natural allure of Hong Kong cinema? Like, when you think about like a one car Y film, I don't think he ever has to had to uh, you know hire a truck to do this because you just have to wait 15 minutes for for a downpour, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't know, I don't know. Does it rain that frequently? I, I figured that this was this was what they could do. Maybe they mm-hmm. did shoot one day that it was raining, but I wondered if they had a rain machine for one day and then they had another stunt to make uh, another night shoot look look nice and they you know they tried to shoot a couple scenes in alleys where they had more control maybe of lighting setups um so you know i yeah i'm I'm not sure but it it is a nice looking film for for, you know for certain i mean this is this is just me again conjecturing but this is based on like places i lived um if you if you just investigate the color of the greenery outside you can kind of just potentially just surmise how it in here it rains a lot like if you like i lived in northern ireland for five years and green in there is green like this this place is called the emerald isle for a reason right so it's just it rains a lot therefore the greenery is like really deep moss green like everything's just deep green and if you move further south it kind of just gets a little bit more olive green <laughs> so it's like it doesn't rain right like where I, where I live now it doesn't really rain that much even though it's still england right but then you know so and then if you look like this at the hong kong sort of like the out the landscapes they're all sort of like deep like it's almost like it's a city in the jungle right that makes sense i don't know anything about the the climate of the area but so they're on the coast there are mountains that are just there so uh, it, it seems to me that the conditions would be good for lots of lots of rain. should probably message my sister so she, she like lived in hong kong for i want to say a year <laughs> so, <laughs> so so she probably should probably know uh no, it's just like in general, I'm just thinking to myself, like this, th- th- there is after that, like Brandon, Brandon Lee has this moment where he almost like brushes shoulders with his dad, right? And then, like, get, does he become Chow Yun fat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, and I, I wonder if that's by design or if I wonder if that's more so, uh, how do I, like, how do I become an action star or an, an action actor in the mm-hmm. 1980s? And, you know, the the prototypes that you probably follow are, uh, you know, more so the, the Dirty Harrys from the 70s or the Stallones, the Cobras, the you know you know Schwarzeneggers it's it's more about the it's more about the gunplay and explosions and the Mm -hmm. the car chase where someone is shooting gun from a car and there's got to be a helicopter and the climax should be in a a warehouse or a dock (laughs) you know like I think so I think that um probably Brandon Lee is just trying to find his own mold and rather than modeling himself after his dad I think he's trying to model himself after well, what's the 19 late eighties, mid eighties, late eighties type of, uh, action star look like? I mean, but then I'm just like, is this also like, cause this is again, like Hong Kong cinema is like, Oh, it's Hollywood for amateurs. Right. But then like, for me, like I look at this narrative in here, like, are they modeling this after bingo item after a Western, right? Are they modeling this after a samurai film? Like this, mm. this, Cause it, think, yeah, because yeah, you say pr- police procedural, yes, because there's there's your crime lords, there's your kingpins, and your um, c- corrupt inspectors, right? But then, like, I look at this, and it's just this sort of canonical like revenge story, right? And probably just when I would bet you money, Quentin Tarantino saw it at the time, and he probably masturbated in the cinema. No, it couldn't <laughs> because it bypassed cinema in America, so he had to rent it. 
and do it at home. I oh, just took it home, <laughs> took it home from the video store that he worked in. Uh, yeah, I, I still think that this is, uh, this is a Hong Kong, uh, producers and filmmakers trying, trying to copy what they love out of like 70s and 80s movies. Uh, Dirty Harry, Great Escape, mm-hmm. you know, these, these types of films because, you know, uh, prison dramas and, uh, you know, mobsters on the streets like you know low rent low rent crooks and hoods you know this this to me feels like uh the 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 go-to simple baddies from tv in the 80s and you know movies and movies and tv of the 70s and 80s so i think that's sort of what they're going after i don't know i think you're digging pretty deep if you're saying is (laughs) this a western i i see where you're you're getting that but i think that that's that's reading in in terms of saying that it's intentional that that's no, i'm just wondering i'm just i'm yeah i'm just asking because like a you know like escape from alcatraz is essentially just well that's your escape from prison right that's that's all this mm-hmm. is right then so i'm just wondering are they picking out um elements from movies that they really like or are they actually trying to reenact a narrative sort of archetype of a guy who's been wronged, he's sent to prison, and you know he's he's a wronged man who's then who then has I don't know how many years. I mean, it's a good question how many years because it's just like it's blink and it's just it's later, right? Yeah. But you know, but he just spends this. I think it's eight years in prison. The sentence right? is eight years. Yeah. Yeah. To um to take his revenge. Uh and I'm just thinking to myself, this is this is an archetype because like one film I I now just have in my mind that this thing kind of happens in is Old Boy. Mm-hmm. Although there's a twist to it, I shan't spoil. <laughs> yeah, leave that one alone. <laughs> I'll leave that one alone because this is a twist that you kind of want. Like if you haven't seen Old Boy, you should see Old Boy. But the getting Spike Lee one, though. <laughs> yeah. Um. But the whole getting out of prison thing, yeah, like, and that that could be baked in here, but I, I still think it's uh, fairly easy to gravitate to trope, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then like, if, if, say if if what you're saying is closer to reality, isn't like it probably is, right? This again, kind of just like, well, it's um, it speaks to the kind of movies that these people are making as in like they're just having fun just pulling tropes out of the movies they watch and then they just want to reenact them so how does it kind of just look for you like if you like look look at it from the like if you try to kind of just go give give the director a, a note like a, i mean a grade right as like how does ronnie use stuck up as as a director like against like guys like ringo lamb or Troy hark or uh you know what? I, I'm really quite impressed with this, and and I I put this film, you know, alongside uh, City of City of Fire for for example. Like I, I find mm-hmm. that this is really good. It's just really really uh, simple and straightforward. Um, what to me uh, it doesn't have as much of is sort of a the character piece isn't as strong for me. Like if you look at uh, the you know, a lot of the stuff that Wu gravitates towards and it becomes a uh, sort of a trope in its own right is the, the, uh, the loyalty business, you know, so you have a good cop and a bad cop, or you have, uh, uh, killers with a heart of gold type of thing, uh, or you have, uh, a loyalty between, 
you know, these professionals. So that element's not here so much because it's this revenge thing and this lost love. So this, like, to me, this isn't quite as rich as some of the stuff that you might get with, uh, you know, Ringo Lamb and with uh, John Woo, for instance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the the set pieces here are pretty good. The look of this film, um, the the pacing, the the ability to just sort of, you know, stick to business, follow the plot, do what you're supposed to do, get in, get out. And, uh, you know, it's all very effective in, you know, a, a way that I would line up right next to Ringo Lamb. Mm-hmm. I just, that's kind of fun. I mean, it's almost like it's writing itself. Like, it's not like I have these bullet points prepared, but you're just perfectly just slotting into what I wanted to and I just probe as well. Like, how does the story kind of fit in here? Because I just think, um, like something like City on Fire, for instance. Like that, that's a movie we talked about on mm-hmm. the show. Let's go back and listen, right? Or like any any old John Woo film, or even like if you just move to, like, and yeah, these 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 narratives that have the they're, they're kind of just based on character complexity, or just or or even the character complexity coming out of the predicament, as in someone who's a, an un, under undercover cop who just forgets which way is up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then the whole film. You, you are as a viewer. You're just like wondering, like, uh, uh, who he's, who is he, uh, is he loyal to, right? Or, or there's this sort of like personal vendetta against against a baddie or whatever. And the, and the movie is effectively a a showdown between these two extremely um, sort of well symmetrical characters, right? And here it's essentially, I mean, I'm just thinking like it, it's a it's a festival of these sort of surface level tro- tropes, right? So yeah. does it does it hurt the movie for you or because of, I don't I, I don't care all that much about about this, but I can admit that you know like the the love story in here it's let's just say kind of shit, shallow, almost such <laughs> yeah. shit, but yeah. it kind of is, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like it, it doesn't hold a whole heck of a lot of water. Um, this this character may, uh, the the love interest, who cares? She makes no impression. She's given one moment where she's a dancer and she arses up the dance, and then she's sort of scuttled off to like the loser's job of you know taking photos <laughs> of customers who come into this cabaret or wherever they work. Um, that's about it you have for her and then she ends up marrying this old dude who's just sort of hanging around and that's so i I don't know it's very lightweight and weird um i really don't care about these characters um and the 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 baddie here he's yeah i guess i'll just say like he's he's very surface level he's bad because he does bad things he's he's bad because he's asked to yell and be mean but there's nothing really interesting um or out of the ordinary uh in terms of what he gives right it's a very very stock type of performance um so i'm not really i'm not really feeling the rivalry like this is all very Mm -hmm. thinly written and i don't feel a, a big rivalry um and part of the evil doing here has to do with this bad guy michael's his dad and this scheme to uh you know uh get uh, to send brandon lee away to prison for a crime he didn't commit like it's all sort of half-baked and very simple and it, there's a Do whole you lot of a bank together like this is like <laughs> crisscross no yeah it's yeah it's anyway i i'm not 
I'm not really there for for any of this. Like this here sort of what this here film moves whenever it is, uh, uh, you know, going through its action business and uh, it's giving me something to look at on the screen not so mm-hmm. much when i'm asked to invest in the characters or you know ride along with even brandon leo i find somewhat charming but you know it's not like this is a great role for for the actor to try to elevate it, the film around it through yeah i you know what i i, I, I there's nothing i can i can kind of dis- dispute in what you're saying as in like yes it's all terribly shallow yeah no no, no none of these characters have enough gravitas to kind of carry the movie like like honestly if it wasn't probably like being completely honest if it wasn't for the fact that this was brandon lee's film and then and then brandon lee ended up having this very short career probably wouldn't have heard about it true unless brandon lee survives making the crow and then becomes an action hero of the 90s which i suppose we will end up having a few conversations in in the next few weeks about how he possibly could have being the next big big thing right um because he was kind of on the precipice of stardom when he uh mm-hmm. uh when he passed so but uh, like you look at the story in here in the legacy of rage and you think like there, it it has all the makings of something great but never really commits to anything it's kind of less like we have this rivalry we have these two friends and one of them betrays the other this is powerful stuff right doesn't work doesn't work. Yeah. If the friendships were stronger, if you felt if you had some scenes of them being the best of buds, but they're already worlds apart because one guy is sort of a wealthy dick and Brandon Lee is How is do they need, of, know each other? Exactly. There's a good there's a good question. Like they're worlds apart. And like and Brandon Lee is he's working two jobs. Like how does he have time for uh a night with the buddies, much less this guy? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so, so weird. So I don't know. Did they know each other because they went to the same school? And then if they did, like, why did they go to the same school? Isn't he's? It wouldn't, wouldn't the guy's dad send him to like a boarding school in Switzerland? Like you just do with crime, crime lords or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what's the tradition in Hong Kong, but you know. Uh, but just how do they know each other? Like, what's the, what's the overlap between these two social spheres that put Brandon Ma, Brandon Lee's character, on a yacht? Like together with this yeah. guy sipping drinks and then talking about the guy's girlfriend behind her back. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And the girlfriend is, as this object of desire, this is sort of a weird piece, like because Michael has other girls around all the time. So, but every once in a while he does something or says something, no, I really wanted you. And you know, it's, you should be with me. Like none of this feels authentic. It's just sort of, it's just sort of written in because it's part of the, these are the pistons that the engine needs to go. You know, it's just it's just part of the machinery of making this film go forward, as opposed to, you know, being anything of dramatic heft. I I think this is me. Uh, this is me reading into this, right? Have I really wanted to defend this? I could possibly say like this is traditional, right? The villain wants wants what the hero has because he knows deep inside that he doesn't have the heart of gold that he has, right? Sorry because for laughing. Yeah, I know. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah. But then, so what he so what he wants to do instead is just he doesn't really want to have what he has because he, he's eaten by jealousy, which probably le- leads him to just setting him up on the on the sort of this betrayal thing, right? But uh, but then, so he, what he wants to do, he wants to actually take away his toy, right? He wants like just a a, bully, a, a a bullish kid will will not take away the, the other kid's toys because he wants to play with these toys. He wants these toys because he wants to see how the other kid doesn't have the toys. He wants to see them have go, you know, like 
just cry, right? So that's kind of, I think, how we would play it. But then again, I'm now ascribing way too much depth to this relationship. Yeah, you are. And I would even <laughs> say that that what you're describing there is actually the dad that we get sort of in the first half of the film because he says to his son, you need to go find another scapegoat. So, and then that's what turns into, you know, Brandon Lee's being framed. Yeah. So the the dad is the big baddie. And then, you know, does, does eight years go by? And then this Michael guy, he's, he's sort of the big well. baddie who, who, who knows, like all this stuff is just sort of uh, thrown out there. And it's, it's not the type of thing that's fun to pick at, you know, because there's not really any other evidence that there's, you know, depth to it. If you were to pick at it, um, I think it's just sort of thrown, thrown together. So why is it fun to watch? Kind of, I mean, uh, for you, kind of, for me, why is it fun, fun to watch? Like, it, because uh, Ronnie, we all you. know, like it's kind of, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Ronnie, you, this is about pacing. This is about the action, the action, the action scenes are sort of fun. Uh, they are well covered. You do get uh, some of that, that gritty Hong Kong energy there, that Ringo Lamb type of feel. And even in some of the latter sequences that you'd get some, you get some uh, John Woo uh, type of stuff. And I'd say you get some Choi Hawk stuff when he's hiding out in the chicken coop. That feels like sort of a Choi Hawk type of concoction because he's sort of the big idea guy. So you've got all these types of things which elevate certain moments and, uh, so it like it it tends to be a quick moving fun ride and i attribute that to ronnie Yu and a little bit to sort of the 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 charm and the emerging sort of star power of uh brandon leagues i i think that he he does have a bit of charm here and you can sort of see uh some range and some talent there but no largely it's it's ronnie Yu. yeah i mean i think the pacing is what kind of does it right yep. because yep. You don't really get to dwell on anything. Like, like uh, you mentioned this, I think was it off mic or maybe on mic when you just like t- try to take notes yes. while watching this, and you blink and you're just like, "What happened?" Like, you have to go and rewind because there's so many things Abs- happened while you were absolutely. writing stuff down. Because <laughs> I had to watch this a second time because this went through me like last night's supper, and uh, this time it's undercooked when I- <laughs> chicken. <right? laughs> this time when I was watching it i'd make a couple notes and my head would be down and i'd make a note and it'd be like three or four seconds and i look up and i'm like who is this what's going on (laughs) why am i suddenly lost (laughs) you know and i was just god i was just gone for three seconds and i was hearing everything but what what where am i so yeah this this here just moves boom 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 because I, i think this might be a hong kong thing too that there's not a lot of time wasted on getting extra shots for transitions right so you know we're going to have a little uh 20 seconds of music to serve as a nice transition for the audience to sort of move from Speaking one moment music, or, by the way yeah. <laughs> so you know it's just no cut Mexi, cut eight years later so. yeah uh i yeah you know what i i don't know how and why but then if if this was done anywhere else if this was an american b movie you could possibly fault it for this or maybe maybe yeah i don't i don't know i don't know how i'd respond but for some reason i kind of feel like it's endearing because it could feel like this is almost a movie made by children yeah like this is like teenagers like this is like you know like these kids who are just like dicking around with their eight millimeter camera right like stevie spielberg and the fablemans right it's just like they're just having fun they're just and they're actually ripping off movies that they watched right um yeah 
and then they yeah. just say like, oh, we should have this scene. We should totally have a prison break scene in our movie, right? Oh yeah, we should totally have a prison break scene. We should totally have a showdown at the end. Yeah, we should totally have a showdown. Exactly. We should have, totally have a, you know, like a big fight in the in the beginning. We should have, a, and then all of a sudden they assemble this collage of yeah. references from wherever they pulled them from. That makes no sense, but they just like just just well, leapfrog yeah, the... from one to another without we really just so much as a breather, right? And it no, kind of like works. The... The, the scotch tape that's holding it together is these ideas of, oh, well, these guys are friends and, you know, you've got a girlfriend in there and, you know, she marries someone else while he's in prison and the bad guy wants her. Like this, this is the scotch tape that sort of, you know, keeps is it, it all. I mean, sort of. Really, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was for me. For me, the scotch tape would be almost the fact that these, this is, this looks like this is a movie made for by children, but this is mo- a movie made by adults who actually have access to pyrotechnics. Oh yeah, yeah, like. <laughs> so it's kind it's of like, like the it's, action it's department in, just looks good. Yeah, it's like the yeah, it's like these infantile ideas, right? Like everything's just kind of just silly, but equally there are people on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there are squibs and and there you know just there are these people falling out of windows <laughs> so, and then you probably think to yourself like oh i want we want to have a scene where some where the body gets just thrown out of a window and it's like we should only have the scene like I don't, we don't know how to do it safely hey michael <laughs> can you just jump out of this window for me please we're, we're totally gonna put a mattress under <laughs> Yeah, it so kind of feels three, like that. That's three stories. Yeah, that's why. Uh, that's why we're getting fun. you the mattress. <laughs> okay, two mattresses. You're getting two mattresses. <laughs> you know what this? This feels like a, a a teacher in high school who's always reading like high school level essays and is used to reading you know pretty good sentence structure, pretty good, um, you know, pretty good writing, you know, and 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 thoughts and communication but then With no original thought <laughs> yeah it might not be original you know it might be wrong or whatever but then if you take uh, an essay from let's say a kid in grade six which is actually really good and and the the kid is really enthusiastic about their their writing but the grammar is shit it's rough around the edges um there's little flaws everywhere but you can see there's a passion and the kid has potential and and all of that it's it's almost taking that type of a look i'm looking i'm used to looking at something more polished and university ready now i'm looking at something which is juvenile but there's a lot of fun in here they do a lot of stuff right it's really rough around the edges you know they comma splices everywhere uh but you know I really appreciate this kid and what they're doing. That's what I feel this this is to a point. Yeah, and I think that's it, wrong it, to you. I think I think you're spot on. And I, can I just I don't know I don't want to toot my own horn in here, but I'm just gonna say something that kind of just brings me back to my childhood. Um, <laughs> I've always been big into writing. Like this was something that I was always kind of just thinking I I I, I want to do this right. And then I was very young, and I want to say I was maybe like eight or nine like this would be all right at the time when i think probably just the crow came out and so like i, I like i'll tell you i'll tell you what like we'll be talking about showdown in little tokyo in i want to say a week's time right but um i saw half of showdown little to- in little tokyo because my dad rented it and then i, I think i went I, i'm not sure if i saw it saw all of it i think there I, for some reason i couldn't couldn't finish it because i kind of just snuck out of snuck it out and snuck it into the vcr and then someone may have uh, waltz into the house and I had to just run away 
because it's it's an it was an eighteen, so I, sh- I wasn't supposed to be watching it, right? But I was on su- <laughs> uh, but I was a, an, an unsupervised free range kid with a with a latch key on his uh, on 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 his neck, right? So, yeah. <laughs> but then at the time, I wrote a short story. And I found it like years ago. I found it in my, in my drawer of like I have it, I have it some in my in my parents' house. So I should probably just bring it back just just for safe for just for, just for keeps, right? I wrote a short story. I I think it was called the Policeman, right? About these two cops. I mean, there was one detective and his friend, and they were hunting down this kill this serial killer called Buffalo Bill. I have not seen the Silence of the Lambs, right? Mm-hmm. All I knew was there was this film called Silence of the Lambs. There was this guy in it, and I wasn't allowed to watch it. Okay, so I've just <laughs> uh, so I wrote this short story. But this short story wasn't like if you read a short story by like I don't know Bret Easton Ellis or uh, I don't know Jack Palinuk, like these story or the Ernest Hemingway. I don't know someone like these. These things are different, right? Because they're just they, these people know that there 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 is a scene that they had. They will, they will have in mind or whatever and then that's all this story is and the rest is kind of outside that's what makes them great what i wrote was a micro novel okay. with with chapters like half a page long yeah and i had this sort of like narrative structure of just like this guy and finding out trying to find out who this killer is and then then finding out and then killing him with a grenade as well and then with this sort of like dot 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 ellips- ellipses ending because you know like at the end you're not sure whether the killer survived or not <laughs> and this was just like six pages of just my shitty hand like nine-year-old handwriting um with with like chapters like just four se- four sentences each <laughs> and some of them like starting with the same le- same word yeah um yeah. It, so so it's like grammatically and from the point of view of syntax complete garbage right but you can like like i read it and it's like there's this passion in here yeah <laughs> that you just feel so you know it's so earnest but it's so garbage yeah <laughs> so it's kind of like this is hong kong cinema these people have no idea how to do this all they know is they want to do it <laughs> uh, you know i think that's totally i think that's totally part of this uh you know i really do i really do and you know there's just a maturity to the industry in New York and Hollywood, you know, because they've been doing it and they've got the tools, they've got the money, they've got uh, experience. Um, the, the, these these guys have what, like thirty eight bucks and a camera, <laughs> you know, and they're just doing the best that they can. And uh, there's that that passion. So we will we will jump off of this railing, and it's a two story fall, and we will do it because that's production value, mm-hmm. because you know we can't afford you know to a soundstage <laughs> well, you know speaking of production value i think this production value in the film actually comes in the latter one i say 20 minutes how do you mm-hmm. feel about the ending like i suppose we should probably slowly just move along and <laughs> yeah this <laughs> and get uh, into laser vision right but you know <clears throat> uh, yeah I, I think that's a sort of a fun ending and you know it's all about pacing it's all about uh, the action and you know i would say that the set pieces in here are pretty good you, you get some dialogue that's pushing the story along but who cares this is about 
Brandon Lee hiding in a chicken coop. This is about the two-story fisticuff swan dive off of a railing onto a piano. Like, you know, these guys are all in for this stunt and, you know, they they know that this is entertaining because this is the type of stuff that entertains them. And I think they're just, you know, going for it. It's, it's just, it's just fun. It's a fun watch. And, you know, the actions, uh, the action's fun in in there. They, they do some interesting things now. I don't want to get mixed up with laser mission, (laughs) but I think it's in here where there's a, uh, a shot where two vehicles are jumping over a camera side by side. It's, it's a very quick moment. There's two Jeeps and they're side by side and the camera's underneath and you see the two Jeeps sort of flying over. And uh, I think it's, so, it's but easy there's take... a similar scene in the other film. I know, and maybe <laughs> I'm like, wrong. A, like an old <laughs> Land Rover, I think, and in a in a in a in a you know, like a cucumber sort of like the yeah. old, old Volkswagen uh, transport. Maybe these are bleeding together, um, but it, just in that example, though, and hopefully it was from Legacy of Rage. The camera is sitting underneath a ramp, just waiting for these two vehicles side by side, just to jump over it. And it's just, this is the type of thing that a sane person wouldn't do. This is the type of thing that, you know, we would do as, as kids, we'd make a ramp and we would put, uh, you know, blocks uh, underneath and then we would put a kid underneath the ramp and then yeah, try to jump put the kid. Ke- <laughs> put Kevin with the camera because like, you just tried to do it the camera alone, but the camera would just like yeah. fall to the side. And it's like, Kevin, just get in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Dig a hole for Kevin. Yeah. Kevin's going to oh, sit man. there with a the camera. Kevin, like, don't be a pussy. <laughs> I, just, I don't want to be here, guys. I'm going to get killed. We can see your vagina from here. <laughs> <laughs> like we would climb on top of our garage and contemplate jumping off. And, you know, I was too much of a baby to do it. But, you know, these Hong Kevin Kong filmmakers, jumped. yeah, they, these guys would, would totally do it. So, you know, that's what this is. Like there's unfortunately there's danger in here and who knows how many people got hurt or, or died on different Hong Kong movie sets. Um, but their heart is in the right place, you know, and there's there's a passion in there somewhere, even if it's... Um, you know, not like a, a, a full-on nerdy passion, but there, there's still a, a, a passion for the industry because people are involved because they want to tell these stories or they want to do something entertaining. And, um, you know, and yes, there's, oh, we want to do it to make money, but I think that, you know, we want to do it because it's fun um, and this would look sort of cool and this would be like, you know, what what they do in French Connection or this is what they, you know, they would did in Brannigan <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but the ending is great. And uh, yeah, I'll I'll save a couple of my comments for my for my list, but uh, cool. Uh, a lot of my list is is from the the tail end of it. <laughs> awesome, because like well, the ending, just in general, I just said, like it's pretty dark. But like, again, like you don't really care because you don't really have a, much of a relationship with these characters. But I feel like it's trying to kind of just be a little bit epic, and I feel like this is kind of the the closest this movie gets to John Woo is in the uh, sort of final few minutes when these two uh, these two guys square off against each other, right? I, I forgot then, it was dark. <laughs> and then it is dark because like just might as well you, you show up like the... might as well it's a spoiler for Legacy of Rage. Like he stumbles upon May and he, it looks and like she's, she's yeah. been she's raped and then possibly just uh, wounded and then she dies in his hands. And she's also and a he, mom too, right? So it's yeah, because yeah, he's a yeah. father as well. Like he has this eight year old <laughs> kid that he doesn't know he had. Uh, so he has to um, and, yeah. and they ride off on into the sunset. See, I forgot. Motorboat. (laughs) And he has his friend. I forgot it was dark. Yeah. There's a friend as well who died. No, he doesn't die. He gets shot. 
Yeah, four eyes there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's quite a lot. But then it's just that we should totally have this woman die in our in our film. Like yeah, totally. Like you could see that this is just makes no sense whatsoever and just randomly totally mm-hmm. inconsistent. But it kind of just for some reason just operatically kind of works because it all this of this. Like the darkest shit is in the five, final five minutes and it kind of works. And then all of a sudden like, you have this uh, sequence in black and white and these sort of like freeze frames. Like what's happening? <laughs> I forgot that too. See, this was leaking out of my head actively. So this conversation might help some of it stick. Um, like I but, didn't even know I remember this. Like this yeah. is like the quest all over again. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like we might as well just like move on with the conversation to the other films. So like if we have any anything else that we want to say about Legacy of Rage, now's the time. And if not, let's just move on to our top threes, right? Yeah, sure. Let's do let's do our top threes. So go for it. Go for the tops because I suppose like it still stands, right? Like it's still watchable and and completely disposable because you keep forgetting every every yeah that happens yeah and true <laughs> and you know these characters and what like they're it. doing and you know any character arcs it's all sort of worthless ultimately. Um, but yeah, tops. Oh, here's yes. a note under my uh, I did have an honorable mention and it was the driving stunt: two cars doing a jump at the same time, camera underneath. There, boom! Mm-hmm. It was this movie. <laughs> nice not that i necessarily was going to mention that but uh there at least i was remembering it from the correct film oh so here's a piece and i don't know if it uh it, i don't know if it's coming from uh you know any rewrite they did when they were uh dubbing it maybe it's from the the writing from the dub maybe it was original but so anyway the, the guard when brandon lee's in prison the guard is sort of looking out for brandon lee and that guard is buddies with the guy that runs the uh, the cabaret. Oh, the, the, rest, the, restaurant. the restaurant manager, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so, Hong Kong is a small place. <laughs> it's like it's like Prince Edward Island. Everyone knows one another. Because you know, like the guard has his son working in his in his restaurant, and then the son is stealing shit from a guy. He's stealing Precisely, toilet paper. And that's it, stealer. Yeah. <laughs> Steals toilet paper because the line is how's how's my son working out in in your restaurant he goes actually not that great what do you mean what's he doing he's stealing shit from the bathrooms and he says what he's stealing shit no he's not stealing shit he's stealing stuff like soap and toilet paper (laughs) that struck me as so ludicrous (laughs) but anyway Awesome, great. This is like uh, this is like kids doing this. Like we should to- we we need to kind of yes! totally connect these two. Like how about the restaurant manager knows their guard? <laughs> totally. It's just written on someone's lap. <laughs> yeah, uh, 100% agree, 100%. Number 2, uh the stunt where uh Brandon Lee, I don't know, probably a stunt man and and another guy they're they're fighting atop these steps and they're two stories up and they crash through the rail and they slam into the piano. Uh that was just fantastic stunt. But number 1 is the little scene where Brandon Lee is evading everybody as best he can and he's he's running and he hiding and he hides why there's a chicken coop here i don't know because <laughs> it's hong kong there's chicken coops everywhere i don't know i, like, guess, I, don't, I, there, I don't know right? like i didn't notice him <laughs> i didn't question of, it and, i was just no, like oh there's a chicken coop i suppose right i didn't till now but at any rate i'm so thankful for this chicken coop because brandon lee yeah. runs in he hides behind and uh the these two or three guys that are after him they go in and they start shooting and the 
chicken coop. So I imagine they're shooting blanks, but I don't know. Is that safe to do? Is that safe for the animals? Can't imagine. But it's probably it gets still even, pretty loud. Oh, it, it's <laughs> got to be damaging for the animals. But anyway, on top of that, what do they do? They get these guys to climb up on the different, uh, I don't know, whatever they are, but uh, these these arms, these these perches that are mm-hmm. on mechanical arms for the, the chickens. And guys are standing up on that amidst the chickens. And then Brandon Lee starts hitting the release buttons on these. So people and chickens are flying everywhere. It's just the most bizarre thing. A few chickens got probably crushed to death. Had to uh, have been at least hurt. Like this was not a good day for the chicken coop. No. Although this was just, it was great cinema. I got, I got to say, and this is just sort of an example of, Let's do a scene like this. <laughs> and so they do. And it's memorable. It's great. What about yourself? Well, I've got a bunch. I've got a bunch. But then like one thing, I didn't know how whether to put it on a top or a bottom list, so I just kind of left it hanging. Um, <laughs> which is like my first note. It says five stars, the first shot, and then you have the credits. Executive yeah. producer, Dixon Poon. I was just thinking, like, this is Golden Harvest all over again. <laughs> Dixon, Poon, right? Yep. And then, and then it's just like, this This is great. And then, like, next credit, Linda Cock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is, I'm such a childish piece of crap. <laughs> and then it's just every, and then, uh, like, it sets you in the mood, and just like, what, what if every name is going to be funny? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so this film was, you know, fun, fun filmmaking, but clearly it was written by 11 year olds and clearly we're the audience. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness. Yeah. No, but then I do some, like, again, like one of like written by 11 year olds who love these, like there's a Midnight Express moment in the film, right? Like, I guess like, someone saw Midnight Express. It's like, like, we need to have the scene with the, uh, with the hand on the, <laughs> on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> the prison. Oh, Christ. Uh, uh, I didn't know that Alan Parker's name would be conjured in this episode. I did not see that coming. <laughs> well, that's me. <laughs> but, like, okay, my top three is one of them is a bit of a slash between the final showdown with, between Michael and Brandon. Like, they have this sort of operatic, poetic, this sort of confrontation. They're all covered in blood. They're all just, it's great. It's like, the, it's mm-hmm. the, it's this type it's the type of stuff where I I believe if Tarantino's watching it while tantrically masturbating this he's getting close to coming okay I'm fucking coming <laughs> tell him I'm fucking coming he's like turn stop tell him I'm coming Jesus Christ and this is why this show's explicit. Um, and also I have the Jesus take the wheel moment which I had to rewatch because there's this stunt moment where there's the four eyes guy who's sh- they're, they're driving the jeep and they're f- shooting their guns at, 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 at the other jeep and then brandon Lee decides that one gun's not enough so he uh, uh, but he's driving the car so he just stands <laughs> on the steering wheel starts shooting <laughs> 80s it's the best all right yep. so that's a great moment another one the chicken coop sequence is just bonkers matt amazing i love it 
but the best moment is like I've I've spoken at length at this about this, but the Bola Young f- fight, the uh, sort of the passing of the torch and the admission that he got his ass handed to him, this is poetic. Like and just like this, I love this moment, love this moment. I, f- I felt like just my heart just grew a little bit, just like oh they did, really did this. This is amazing. And this is following my Dixon Poon con. <laughs> <laughs> Little asterisk beside anything I mean, he it's, says, folks. It's not like I didn't put this name in there. Like they, the guy, like either this guy, this guy's called Dixon Poon, or these people who, or Ronnie Yu has a very sassy sense of humor. <laughs> anyway, bottoms, bottoms. I have four, but they're all sort of silly because, you know, in a way, you could say this whole. F- the whole thing could possibly belong on a bottomless, but you know, there's fun to be had in here. So I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to pick some silly ones out here. Um, Yeah. And I've got four. Michael in (laughs) a couple scenes has what I'm calling a Beetlejuice jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) This ridiculous black and white thing. He doesn't look like a prisoner. He looks like Beetlejuice. It's just so weird. He looks like Uh, a Doppler effect. (laughs) Yep. Yes. (laughs) Uh, uh, okay number three my brain is reaching for a doppler effect joke which anyway isn't coming okay anyway, this is, forget it this is a too nerdy for for tonight it's gone <laughs> sorry okay number three um i think it's the cop that ends up getting shot i don't know who knows and I forget who's playing, if he's Michael or maybe it's Michael's dad. Don't even know, don't care. But they're playing squash. And it's definitely squash because it's the longer racket, smaller head. So it's squash. <laughs> but they're having, a, they're having a full-on conversation while they're playing squash. Not, none of it's si- sitting with me. Um, but, you know, you don't have a full conversation when you're playing squash. That's ridiculous. Um, number two... The terrible dance sequence that May, like this is her moment, and uh, she sort of comes in on some sort of conga line. These these dance girls come in, and she totally messes it up. And it's just it's an awkward scene. It's she's supposed to be bad in it, and she really is. Just the whole scene is sort of which terrible. is great then, right? Supposed to be bad. <laughs> the whole scene is sort of ridiculous, and the the dance and even the the uh, actresses that are doing it, what they're supposed to be doing, like they they bend over and stick their butts out, and it's really weird. It's not titillating. It's just weird, totally stupid. It's all about. Do you think this was a note from Dixon Poon, the, the <laughs> producer? I, I don't know, but I think this the whole point of the scene is to introduce the old man who we didn't even really talk about, who falls for May, and that's a whole other weird offshoot so anyway that whole dance scene can go and uh, the the worst moment to me is early on in the film there's a lost kid (laughs) and there's actually a great moment where brandon lee picks up this lost kid the kid's lost because her family got on the bus and she didn't and this kid's got to be what three maybe brandon lee picks her up and follows the bus and runs to the next bus stop and manages to keep pace with the bus and return the kid but (laughs) the, the bad moment in here is the mom inside the the older daughter was supposed to be watching this young child and i says i don't have the kid and the mom's like oh well shoot <laughs> so it's like her reaction was oh damn oh well how did you lose her shame on you that's terrible that's, no oh, concern shit. Whatsoever. we have to make another one you know no no concern <laughs> about this lost child no real appreciation for what for what this some scene parents is. you know some, some. parents because I've uh, lost my kids before, and it sucks. It's a horrible feeling. She has to make another one. <laughs> story. No, because we found them. 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> so that's a story for another day. <clears throat> All right. She <laughs> just got excited for a second. Oh, I'm gonna get it. <laughs> Honey, I've lost the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> Papa's home. What about your bottoms? Well, my bottoms. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean, one, okay, number one, uh, I also have, you know, four, four things. So one is um, shout out to the guy whistling using his fist, like, <laughs> like using his fist. <laughs> Very odd skill. Um, okay. The same scene you just mentioned, but this is for me a stand-in for just the music in the film. Because he, as he's running, there's shred guitar all over the scene. Yes. It's just, it, it's like hard targets, you know, opening, right? It's just completely out of, out of sync with everything. But there's music in the film elsewhere, which is kind of like the same shred guitar, but filtered through like an 8-bit simulator. <laughs> like when they... <laughs> when they fight this da, 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 with this sort of like weird synthesizer it's so bad um okay <laughs> so that's the music done um and i've got two more things one um i ha- i called the um no more talk of mo- of motorbikes like this may is just so upset about these motorbikes because she's jealous of motorbikes and she just, she just says well she gives him this sort of stink eye and then she, he goes like, well, no more talk of motorbikes and he hugs her and then he, and he just reads the magazine and then, and then the camera pulls back and this whole apartment is just plastered <laughs> with posters of motorbikes. It was just like, no more talk of motorbikes. Like, are you serious? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, like asking like Christian Grey or whatever, like no more torturing people. It's like, oh, what am I going to do with my room? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> so it's that, and then the the worst thing in me is just it's a con it's a, both a concept and a scene that I had to rewind seven times to figure out what's going on, and then my note I took from this is the passage of time is wang. <laughs> there's this moment where it's just all of it, like he has this conversation with the guard. He's trying to escape uh, by jumping into the bay, but he just gets told that there are sharks in there. And all of a sudden they cut to, he's like burning, burning, um, mayo in a barrel. <laughs> and and then just all of a sudden he's getting out and like, like blues brothers style. There's this guy picking him up and it's like, what's happened? And it's like, Oh, eight years, has, eight years have passed. It took me like five or six goes to realize. <laughs> yeah. They didn't shoot any other footage that could have helped sort of transition no, the audience. Like these people Nothing. didn't believe in establishing the establishing shots of anything. This no. was just hard cut to eight years later without so much as a subtitle. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So that's legacy of rage. So yeah. I suppose it would you know, we should probably just move along and then talk about laser vision. You man, what did you just see? Who fell out of the tree? Wrong. What do you just see? Nada, El Capitan. Correct. What is your name? Manuel, El Capitan. Manuel. I remember that name. Where's your sergeant, Manuel? I am the sergeant. 
What will you tell your superiors about all this? Uh, nada, El Capitan, nada! Good work. Whose jeep is that? Howard's withdrawal. Whose jeep is that? What jeep? That's the right answer, hmm? So after Legacy of Rage, Brandon Lee did Kung Fu The Next Generation, which is another TV movie offshoot of the Kung Fu series. <laughs> but this wasn't aired. This was, I think this kind of, I almost said streamed. This was part of what they call the CBS Summer Playhouse. So I think this wasn't aired originally and then was released. I mean, this was kind of just, we could see this as this concoction of like a mini series of pilots that weren't commissioned. Uh, and then out of them, the audience would pick what they want uh, to be commissioned. I suppose like Amazon had this some years back when they uh, when they I think was it like the uh, the tick got commissioned as a oh. as a result of having because they just shot like five pilots and they showed them to the audiences and then just said oh yeah which one do you like I think there was a Zombieland TV show okay I saw the pilot for that I was garbage <laughs> uh, yeah so so he did that he also did a small role in a film called The Crime Killer and he was a villain there in the opening I think. He did an episode of O'Hara with Pat Morita as a villain again. And then he did Laser Mission. And that Laser Mission is directed by Bo J. Davis. It's a West German film, by the way, uh, starring Bob Brandon Lee and then stars Ernest, Ernest Borgnine uh, and Werner Pohart. Po, yeah, I don't know. Pochat. Po po I don't know. He's a German guy. But he, I believe he worked in Italy a lot because he was in Cat of Nine Tales and in a bunch of like. I want to say Italian westerns uh, and crime procedurals. So it tells the story of, um, I think he's a mercenary. I think I'm, his name is Michael Gold, and he's sent to wherever the hell. This is a good, this is a good question. Where this movie takes place in Africa, potentially. It's called Cavango, I think, uh, and I, and I believe. Um, he's there to find an abducted scientist, and he's abducted by the Soviets, who all have German accents who are on some, and I quote, some kind of a laser mission. <laughs> That's a line from the film. <laughs> and he is joined by the scientist's daughter, or so he thinks. Spoiler for laser mission, anyway. And they have to go on a, after this ruthless, and I, I'm not making this up, Colonel Kawashnikov. <laughs> I think that's his name is, and then you, you can't make this up. And then the story goes from there. So this was filmed in Namibia, and then the, the only thing I know is David Hasselhoff was uh, originally considered for the year old that went to Brandon Lee. So I suppose for, for all I care, he dodged a bullet, right? Uh, especially being a bit of a TV star at the time, right? So this became a home video success, despite being panned by critics. And then, I mean, some critics kind of liked that it. it was kind of like a well-made action movie and just had a shitty script and whatever and some people really didn't like it so i don't know but then it became appreciated as a bit of a b-movie curiosity especially again after 1993 it, it kind of had a bit of a resurgence so what do you think about laser mission <laughs> some kind of laser mission <laughs> <laughs> well this was a first time watch for me i've got to say oh, I, I didn't expect anything I, else <laughs> i i don't have a long history of this movie and we talked about the bottom shelf of the video store. We talked about that market there a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, Space Rage. And I sort of thought that's what we'd be getting here. But what a surprise it was to me to find that this was a wall-to-wall -wall action banger, a set piece, <laughs> a set piece driven <laughs> action film 
feels a little bit like a Western, two charming leads. I was not expecting Brandon Lee to be playing an international man of mystery and a master of disguise. <laughs> That's, uh, hold on, hold, 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 hold my beer. This is, uh, this is my note somewhere in here. Oh, we're going to uh, get into it. Yeah, Brandon Lee, Master of Disguise. <laughs> I think that's exactly how I wrote it down. Yes, exactly. Brandon Lee, Master of Disguise. <laughs> and to be a film that has a clever twist at the end, you know, where a character turns out to be something that they don't exactly say they are. And it's also a film that captures the tension of the Cold War perfectly. Wasn't expecting this at all. But this, this is, is Rambo. Say, this is Rambo three you can afford. <laughs> <laughs> but all this is to say that I had a blast with this, but it's total junk. Oh my god, uh, this is total junk. But man, I really did quite like this. I had quite a bit of fun watching this, and um, I don't think I'm ashamed to say it. But yeah, I'll leave it. At, I'll leave it at that for now. There's a lot to discuss in here, but uh, uh, it's it's not a great great film. But I had a, I had a pretty good time watching it. What's the um, Antonioni film with Jack Nicholson? Oh, uh, is it the I, Passenger? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So <laughs> imagine if like the company who did Atlantic Rim. <laughs> was tasked to kind of do the passenger <laughs> this is what it kind of would be like no this is like the rambo 3 just from their bargain bin and just like it's instead of rambo 3 it's bambo 3 right <laughs> something like that uh, <laughs> yeah schwambo 3 <laughs> just you know uh it's a bit of a bond movie but you know what i, I really liked it i had so much fun watching this it's it's almost unhealthy but it's so damn stupid <laughs> This movie's so dumb. It's so bad. I mean, I, I had the same feeling when I started watching this. Like, oh god, this is this a space race territory? Like, this is this is gonna be rough, is it? And then no, no, it's not gonna be rough. It's amazing. <laughs> it's <clears throat> I have like three pages of notes, and they are just stupid things that happen in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, I'm the same. <laughs> but overall, I really dig Brandon Lee in here. He like he's really just. Well, there will be a question in a second. Well, what is what is in here, right? But the movie itself is kind he's of just, an international man of mystery. He's an international. He's like he's your Austin Powers, yes. You know? uh, who kind of sort of looks a little bit like Antonio Banderas meets John Jim Carrey, uh, but he's carrying himself himself a little bit like Keanu Reeves and a little bit like Jean-Claude Van Damme. I don't know. There's something about him. There's this mix of, of, of multiple things going on in here, but the movie itself, it's kind of dumb. Like, and by kind of dumb, I kind of being polite, but because like, if it was, you know what, if it had, I think, I won't say no, not even less. I don't even know if it's Polish or if it was just a little bit more obnoxious, this would be an Uwe Boll territory, you know? Because mm-hmm. I think yeah. Uwe Boll wants to make movies like this. But yeah. he, but he, but but he's just too obnoxious. Because this movie is just earnest <laughs> in that <laughs> regard. It's almost like just like if Hot Shots took itself a little bit more seriously, this would be kind of the same territory. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to be specific, Hot Shots part 2. 
but you know <laughs> but uh but so that's kind of how i see it it's it's wall-to-wall action it's squibs explosions people on fire everywhere and it's just fun to watch and then there's people just getting roundhouse kicks to the face so you know question opening this just the interest of time Because this movie comes at the uh, tail end of the 80s, right? That's That was released in 1989. So <clears throat> what is Brandon Lee doing here? As in, like, is he an action man? What is he... What is... what? How does he fit in the sort of the... Let's just say the popular culture sort of transitioning at the time. Because this comes after Die Hard, right? Which would be... I want to say... the I don't want to say the watershed moment. But in my mind it kind of is. Because we're just like... Wow, you can have an everyman do this. Right? You can have Michael Keaton as Batman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... <laughs> Mr. Mom can be a superhero. So, yeah. So, you know... How, what is happening here? Like, what, what's the allure that Brandon Lee has in this movie? And if he has any... that I mean, of course he has, a, he has some. Because, like, this movie is amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> Again, I, I, I'm interested in trying to read up a, about sort of the, the smaller moments in in these in his career during these these years. You know, because you mentioned he did a little bit of TV. Um, it's it's just it's so peculiar this type of a start because it wasn't sort of a natural, you know, growth. It was this weird Hong Kong venture. Now it's this weird West German venture. It's it's just so peculiar to me, but. And for for who he was, like, is he still is he trying to stay away from the limelight? Like, I would I would wonder that he would be able to be a big star and, you know, do something bigger sooner. That would be my my instinct. Is he intentionally staying away from that or are those opportunities not there because Hollywood's happy doing its own thing? Um, you know, so a, a total curiosity to me um, in a way I could see that, you know, you know, Hollywood has, everyone's on a short leash in Hollywood, really. So, you know, who's this Brandon Lee guy? Can he open a film? Maybe the studios don't want to touch him. But I think they're paying attention to the fact that Legacy of Rage made a little bit of a, made a little bit of money in Asia. And they're paying attention maybe to the, his performance and his talent and how well this film does on its video release. Um, because it was basically straight to video, right? Um uh, yes, I think I don't think it. Uh, if it had a theatrical release somewhere, I yeah probably made twenty five dollars and probably just just two people yeah, and it was watching it five times. Just just released, so it would be eligible for Oscars probably. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how it happened. Yeah, I just had two screens in LA, <clears throat> and that was it for a weekend for eligibility. But anyway, um, so. What is Lee doing? I don't know. Like this, this seems like a natural progression in my mind. Like, you know, what he does in Legacy of Rage, now doing it in English, basically doing the same thing, sort of anchoring, um, anchoring an action film. Uh, so it, it feels like a natural progression to me, one that is earmarked for straight to video release in North America, because I don't know if Legacy of Rage had any international distributing when they made it, except maybe within Asia. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that was probably the hope, but I, I don't know. But I think this here was, uh, was, was sold the second that it was, uh, sort of made, it was sold to video stores. Uh, that's sort of my sense. So 
anyway, it makes sense um, in terms of his work. I think that he's showing a capacity a- again to be a leading man. Like he's he's got that type of talent. He, you know, uh, he is somewhat magnetic. Like he's easy to watch, um, just in terms of the way he commands the scenes, the way he participates with other actors in the scenes. You know, I'm not crazy about his comedy here, but you know, he he can do what's what? asked of him. <laughs> just dropped in to say bon appetit yeah <laughs> not crazy about you know what he's given to work what a with. line <laughs> but i mean but, when he says i just dropped in to say bon appetit after he literally dropped drops through the through ceiling roof yeah <laughs> so um i so yeah table. Again, he doesn't have a whole lot of you know good stuff in the script to work with here but I think that he completely showcases that he's, uh, you know, a capable actor. He's capable of being uh, a leading man. I th- you know, he's he's got some chops and, uh, you know, I think the camera likes him. He can handle the action. So this seems like a, a wonderful natural progression mm-hmm. in terms of using his uh, acting talent, his charm and his athleticism. Um, you know, it, it, it makes sense. It flows. It's just such a, like, it goes from a Hong Kong film to West Germany and, not many stops in between it's it's peculiar to me but it makes sense and, and you can see how he's he's growing and so yeah that's that's sort of my take on where he is here and and whatnot but it's a little peculiar that he doesn't have much more of a stop in hollywood yeah do you think that actually the people who are making this are kind of self-aware that they're making a bit of a spoof hmm like is this because this is West German production? This is not a Hollywood film, so it's again like it's an interesting uh, comparisons case as a comparative study because like Hong Kong, we just spent like an hour and a half talking yeah. about Hong Kong cinema, right? And how it's a bit of an ersatz Hollywood. Is this the same thing? Do they knowingly do these things? Are they are they like leaning into these tropes? I don't. I don't think that they're leaning into this in a way that they're self-aware and they're they're pushing parody. I think that they're, uh, you know, pushing some comedy, and I think that they're trying to get comedy out of uh, uh, Debbie Monahan. Is that the lead actress? Debbie. They're trying oh, to get comedy out of her. And they're trying something. to get comedy out of uh, Brandon Lee. They're yes. they're sh- sure as hell aiming for comedy out of Ernest Borgnine. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I don't think that they are. I don't I think they're just doing it because that's what they want to do that's the type of thing that they they uh is is their goal I I I think that they just want to be funny I don't think that they're thoughtfully trying to you know wink at anyone I guess I'll Mm -hmm. put it that way that's sort of my sense I don't know but I don't think they are so in that regard I'm just wondering this myself right in terms just in the context of Brandon Lee as the sort of leading character in here doing something different because like the 80s is still like here like this is 1989 so this is like rocky 4 is out on the table rambo 3 is out on the no, what, what year was rambo 3 like 1987 6 uh rambo 3 yeah oh it's like 1983 or something 1988 1988 uh, oh rambo like, sorry i was thinking rocky yes rambo 3 was yeah 88 yeah because if you think about like well, the, the story is about this of Ernest Borgnine is abducted by 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 the Soviets, and then they have to go to a desert country to retrieve him. This is Rambo Three. That's pretty much what it is, right? Reenacted by Germans. This is yeah. This is Cold War stuff because that's all. It's in the night. Yeah, it's, it's like so people timely. with 
Yeah, people in Soviet uniforms and they all have thick German accents. It's very, it's ridiculous, right? Um, so, but you know, it's part of the fun. But yeah. then, okay, so if they're doing this seriously, then I would assume, okay, well, is Brandon Lee's character crafted seriously as well? And then for me, if this is serious, then also maybe it, it is Erzat's Hollywood and they just tap into this sort of the change of the guard almost because... Like Brandon Lee doesn't have the physique of Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? He doesn't have the physique of uh, he doesn't he doesn't have the sort of the intimidating stature of um, of of Sylvester Stallone, and then he doesn't really necessarily want to lean into the physicality of his or or, 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 the, or the athleticism of his skill skill mm-hmm. like the skill set like I don't know like Chuck Norris would, right? Or mm-hmm. Van Damme mm-hmm. would at the time, right? But he's kind of like I don't know what he is because he, he 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 does like throw a few kicks and punches in here, but I think he's kind of just this because he, he could almost pass for like an everyman. Like if you dress him into a suit, like if you dress Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in a suit, like he looks like a goomba, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he looks ridiculous. Like he like he like. But again, this is his charm that he you could you could put him in true lies. And then say that he's a spy, and I was like, like, "Yeah, I suppose he's a spy." Like he's, you know, he he can blend in. Yeah, he blend in. (laughs) No one's gonna notice this just pile of meat just prancing around. Named Harry. Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But now I think, like at this time too, um. You've you've got Bruce Willis, you've got Tom Cruise, albeit with Top Gun, but there's a sense of the the everyman. Um, people people will go to the everyman, you know. People mm-hmm. will you know sort of uh, gravitate towards uh, you know the the guy the boy next door type of uh, action hero, and I think he sort of fits fits in that. Um, if anything, he's almost it's almost as if he's presented as uh, like a young Bond suave, almost like this yeah. suave type of character. Uh, so, you know, Hollywood certainly is a, a history of, you know, suave. So it's, it's almost like that type of uh, element that they're tapping into because, you know, it, it like, honestly, all joking aside, like there is this international intrigue type of element because what it, what is he? He's, he's a gun for hire or something basically, right? Yeah, he's a, he's a soldier of fortune, right? Yeah. He's kind yeah. of like, I don't know what he is, but but then yeah, you, I think you're, yeah, you're spot on that he's kind of like a Bond sort of standard, right? But then equally... He's a Bond. I mean, this would be a I mean, Bond. I want to believe that all James Bonds are self-aware, right? That they're just mm-hmm. we're slapping these women, and we know we're doing it, right? <laughs> that this is not just like, well, this was the time or whatever. But you know, like they're they're, they're just I don't know. I don't want to get into it. But you know, like this is this is like I want to I want to know that the Brandon Lee is kind of in here. This sort of self-aware guy because like when you think oh he's the everyman i'm not sure if he is because he's just i think defined by his charisma right almost that he gets to develop i think or maybe showcase does he not have enough charisma to kind of just go like almost forego the fact that like, let make people forget that he knows how to throw around house cake uh, even though he does yeah. during the prison prison break sequence yeah <sighs> It's, it, it 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 is sort of weird to in this in this sense to really sort of drill down and, and try to uh, peg what he's doing. You know, I sort of see what you're 
what what you're pushing for like because what is he um i i don't know like and maybe too he's just the guy that they could get like if you want a leading man that's going to sell all these vhs copies to video stores you know he's he's the guy that's closest to a name like this could this could just as easily be uh you know michael Perry or who was the guys that uh michael dudikoff like could could just as easily been one of these guys but it ends up being uh brandon lee um mm-hmm. is brandon lee savvy enough in his own skill as an actor uh, at this point to to try to conjure james bond or a, a self-awareness or is he going with the flow and you know he's just sort of charming his way through this right like uh, it's like so far it's it's been a while since i've seen another brandon lee film but you know in in these two films he's not an actor he's one that's filled with charm but he's not one that i'm willing to say he has a ton of range yet uh so you know is is he i i don't think he's really channeling uh any type of major self-awareness i don't know it could be just talking out of my rear end as well but um i think he's just sort of having having fun in a in a star star role i i don't necessarily see anything more than that no i'm just i'm i'm just wondering because like there are moments in this film where you can almost feel like they're just they're kind of, at least some actors they kind of know what they're in like they're just Okay, we're in hot shots. Like we're in Team America World right, Police, yeah. and then we're in Durka Durkistan, and all these people say like Durka Durka Durka. <laughs> so yeah. it, it kind of feels like it's almost bordering on this, but they never cross the line to go in full on Uwe Ball because I, pre- I strongly believe Uwe Ball would have gone straight into South Park territory, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know because like he when he has a scene at the end where he laughs, he like maniacally like, ha, ha. and I just. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, is he is he really humming it up, or is this what's expected of him? <laughs> ah, because I think to me he would have, if if he was really self aware, I would wonder if the the scenes with Ernest Borgnine uh, would play a little bit differently. Because I think he's just sort of straight up going through his lines and trying to be his charming leading man. I don't really get that he feels those scenes are ridiculous or over the top. Um, so I, I think he's just sort he's of a professional. He's just like, I'm going to play it as it's written. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think that's, that's what it is too, because the, the, the Borg nine pieces is, is a whole other, uh, you know, ball of wax. <laughs> this, this ex, my boy, oh, my boy. <laughs> he's just like God, his like, thick accent, Ernest Borgnine. Jesus. And what is what what is this accent supposed to be? German? Well, it's a good question. I think yeah, because he's a German scientist <laughs> and he's uh, abducted to uh, perform some kind of a laser mission. Yeah, well, I want uh, my technology to help build, not destroy. See, it's like, he's social commentary. Like, just saying. Yeah, he's the uh, Werner von Braun being abducted by the Rus- Ruskies, right? Yeah. But then uh, it kind of just takes place in this sort of like fictitious universe as well, because like where does this movie take place? Tell me. I don't know. I thought it was in Cuba for the longest time, but then when they're they going have Cuban flags desert, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they have Cuban flags. They have soldiers. They look like they just served under Che Guevara, right? Yeah. But then they, they go on this four hundred mile trek through a desert which... to Namibia, down south to Namibia. Oh, so they were in Angola? No, they weren't. And then 
they drive a car that has a this is, hold on I've, I've, i make notes i made notes for this hold on hold your horses so it's right hand side wheel in a car suggesting oh, yeah. this is a british colony business but the traffic's left hand side i mean just the traffic's right hand side as well so it's just like okay well, so they drive on the right but the, the steering wheel's on the right it's ridiculous no idea there's a cuban flag somewhere Mm-hmm. There are African soldiers speak speaking with these sort of um let's just say like they, they just stepped out of out of Frank Marshall's Congo. <laughs> um there are Portuguese signs everywhere. Like they have this yeah. sort of like wanted dead or alive, that's in Portuguese, I think. Uh there are Soviets everywhere, by the way, and they all have German accents. Um they they go down south to, to Namibia, which I suppose this is Angola. There's there's an Indonesian flag somewhere as well. <laughs> okay, and uh, and there's also um, a sign "Betreten uh, verboten" in German. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and then someone mentions I think Ben Kingsley with a mustache, <laughs> with the bald guy. <laughs> <laughs> says they're going to Kavango and we're just like is this a place or they just make it up so it just feels like this is you know like Durkistan yeah <laughs> Wakanda <laughs> Wakanda yeah <laughs> Jesus yeah I was I, I was confused as, as uh, like because I thought it was in Cuba and then they suddenly had to walk across 400 miles of desert and I'm like I've been to Cuba I know there's not 400 miles of desert in Cuba I mean, but he, this so is stu- this is so damn stu- or, or is this like um what was the movie called Red Dawn where this like these Soviets are just flanked by the Cubans everywhere they just like have this sort of <laughs> the you know deployment of of Cuban army somewhere the revolutionaries or whatever because like Brandon Lee decides okay I'm gonna go on this mission to save this guy right and uh, and he just sticks a very thin mustache on him and yes. jumps out of a plane into a tree master of disguise <laughs> and then and there. Are, Cubans everywhere, or so they would seem. Because hold That's on, what I thought, yeah, but... there's this, there's this pair of characters. They're gonna make an appearance later. Oh yes. Um, and my note was, I was like, I don't think any of these people ever could speak Spanish. <laughs> I think you're 100 percent right on that. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm just watching these people because there's this woman and there's just like nada el capitan, and they just, and just they have these weird accents. I don't know where they're from. <laughs> But then I'm just thinking to myself, like, have they been asked during the audition, like, do you speak Spanish? And they just, just, they, they followed the, like, the licorice pizza line of, like, yes, say yes. <laughs> just say si. yes to everything. See, <laughs> si. Do you speak Spanish? See, si. Bueno. <laughs> just like, okay, great. And then just, you got the role. It's like, fuck, I need to learn Spanish. <laughs> like, pronto. But then Brandon Lee parachutes behind them and sort of drops out of a tree with his little dainty mustache and he just this Rudolph talk, Valentino mustache <laughs> talks with this you know brutal Spanish accent and just sort of you know commandeers a vehicle from the camp and you know like but that's because he's the master of disguise I guess. what did you see he fell from a from from a tree wrong <laughs> no <laughs> what did you see slaps him five times <laughs> What did you see? Nada, Capitan. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just 
comedy gold right there. Rowan Atkinson type of material right there. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but you know, the the film is so well paced. You know, one one forgets, <laughs> one is able to move on with Brandon Lee. But oh my my goodness, yeah, like the first half of this film or so, like you're you're going through these awkward paces, comedy included, um, and that's the that's the first of his disguises. <laughs> Uh, first of his disguise is the uh, guy who uh, arrives at the airport. It's like, what's your purpose here? Business oh, or right, pleasure? A right little the, bit of both. Right, the glasses. This <laughs> Clark, like Clark, Clark, Clark Kent costume. Yes. <laughs> oh, good lord! <laughs> He's like, what's your job? And what does he say? Oh, behavior management and people. People management and behavior people modification. Behavior be, be, behavior modification. Yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's still not a job <laughs> title, is it? <laughs> they catch him. No, because he goes and then... Because Ernest Borgnine is sitting on a bench by a pier. Yeah. Just randomly. Yeah. Randomly, brandonly. Right? <laughs> Never mind. Well, um, you're, you're in the field of science. Is that not where you spend your free time? Like, Can you not relate? Scientists don't have time. Scientists just work. <laughs> Like, you know, there's there's a good like someone someone mentioned this to me like years ago. And it's like you know how to spot a a, a scientist on uh, at an airport? They're the only people actually working. <laughs> it's like someone hunched by a laptop. Yeah. This, this is the only time they can actually just write a write a paper, because right. everything else is just putting out fires, writing grant applications, and responding to, to shit that, and and teaching. <laughs> so, so yeah like yeah well, it so, sounds like, like you're he, picking apart ernest borgnine's performance em, he, ernest borgnine is just should have been of, filling out a grant application yes <laughs> exactly you should be writing a a you know a proposal yeah <laughs> but, but but no he's the scientist he's a hollywood scientist just sitting there with his cane just thinking about shit <laughs> Looking at waves and just thinking, like, ah, what if I could do devise a laser for a mission? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then these Soviets come out of nowhere and just shoot arrows at them. Uh, the, these, yeah, the weapons in here are great. There's, <laughs> there's arrows and there's these are darts, aren't there? These like they're, yeah, these darts and, darts. and darts. later on they have this sort of like real confrontation with people with actual bows and arrows. <laughs> When bow and arrow ninja comes out of nowhere. A bow and arrow ninja in a military uniform and flip flops. <laughs> just, just in the in the desert. In the desert. In, yes. in, in the a, middle of nowhere in the desert, yeah, there are just in, ruins. An Adobe house ruined and uh, middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that don't make sense in here, but it's kind of fun. Like there's this moment. Absolutely. Where, because, um, because he then pairs he pairs up with this woman, Alisa. The, the, Debbie Monaghan, which I I note her down as a very, the most casual snake handler, because this yes. is how she enters the film. She's just carrying a boa constrictor and just did, just manhandles it into the terrarium. Just there yeah. you go. And she she kicks a crocodile along the way too. She does. Yes. Yeah. I mean, well, that's see, that's a jarring cut, by the way. It's just like there's like you kind of just I can't remember you transition from uh, Brandon Lee slapping people. Yeah. Hard yes. cut, and then someone's feeding a lion milk from a bottle. <laughs> just, oh, so we're not in Cuba anymore, or are, are we, we in a zoo? Well, we are in a zoo, actually, but, <laughs> but we don't know where the zoo is. 
<laughs> and they just find each other. And it's just so weird. I don't, I, I don't even know how they end up with each other. And they have, they have, I don't know what they do. But they end up in a hotel. They sleep together, and then she sneaks out, uh, takes his lock picking set. Yeah. Because of course he has a lock picking set. Yeah, and it would be. I would just if for mine, I just leave it on the night table. On the night table, yeah, exactly as you as you do. You know? <laughs> yes. And then as it just turns out, the uh, Colonel Kalashnikovs goons are turning up in this, their beat up Mercedes. So she goes and steals it and waves at them, and then runs away, and then they engage in a car chase. Yeah. And that sort of business ends quickly too, because then she phones to say that. Hard cut to the phone call, hard right? Hard cut to the phone call. <laughs> and she says they're dead, which is a ruse, which I guess is fine. But it's just all very, like, cut. Like, there's there's no transitions in, the, in these movies. It's just, like, I mean, cut. We're on to the next. One, what's one thing that I wrote down? Hold on. I, I want to I wanna, I wanna give you the actual, how, it, how I wrote it down. <laughs> Because uh, when she drives off in their Mercedes, these guys like just run out of the hotel and shoot after her. And then this car turns up behind them and honks. And I just, my, my note says, never honk at shooting goons. Because <laughs> they just turn around and then hard cut and they're in this blue car now. <laughs> this, this was this guy's worst decision in his life. He just like yeah. honk honk at these guys. And it's like, now I lost the car. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably yeah. dead but <laughs> yeah <laughs> this stuff is great like it's just it's just so fun it, it's uh you know it doesn't really mean anything it doesn't really add to anything it's just it's fun like they, it's well paced like i don't know how they find themselves in a desert like that's before the hotel they find themselves in the desert because there's also another country because they mm-hmm. they drive around drive drive away in this sort of land rover yeah and then between the between that, there's also the prison break because you know, like Clark Kent gets caught by the police officers and gets sentenced to death. Just all right, yeah, hard cut that. to this. <laughs> Colonel Kalashnikov comes comes in and yeah. says, "Like we've sentenced you to death." I don't remember there being a trial. Well, believe me, there was one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cut then, to his escape scene, basically. <laughs> no executions are done. Cut to there's a guillotine and there's a guy testing it with watermelons. <laughs> as, as one does <laughs> but then after that that hard cut it it goes right to his escape scene i forget what he does what is it he basically just walks out or does he overwhelm a guard or something no no there's the guard the guard shows up and he just like does the drin drin on his on the, yeah. on the door and he opens the door and he just turn around and he turns around and gives him a roundhouse kick through the door. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then there's another guy helps him around and then he just starts shooting people and just shoots him his way out of the prison, right? And just runs into an American embassy. Yeah. Hard cut. Should, American embassy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the American embassy is actually, that's what the plaque says. American embassy. <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> Like realism out the window, right? No, it's just no. The uh, like I don't know, consulate of the United States of America. I don't know what would be the official office. Yeah. Uh, no, it's American embassy. American embassy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just carved into this plaque. Yeah. 
And then these people, and then he has a gun. It's like, you haven't told me what this mission's all about. You blew this mission. And he's just like, <laughs> just leaves, the, leaves the room and he says, you guys really know how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Isn't that a self-help book? <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, fantastic but we didn't mention i know we're all over the place here kind of like the film (laughs) kind of like the film so it's actually yeah that's right it's appropriate but we didn't mention and we've got to and i don't want to miss it's going through my mind now so we've got to mention his third costume his third disguise oh the beggar This is where he comes across the this, this Debbie Monaghan for the first time. <laughs> this, this vet who kicks crocodiles and throws pythons around. And he hobbles up to her and he's got like a rag over his head and arms, arms. It is just the best, the best costume. So I don't know, maybe here that you might have a little bit of a case that it's, uh, you know, taking the piss in some way but oh my god <laughs> it kind of does I don't, it kind of is taking the piss like but it's taking the piss in a in a way that it's kind of unobnoxious i don't think it's a word <laughs> but, but yeah. no but th- yeah this this film is not obnoxious it's, it's not sort of you know over the top in your face or you know i would agree with that it's kind of like a leslie like you could imagine leslie nielsen doing it <laughs> Oh, but then it's a different film. But yes, <laughs> don't call me Shirley. But you know, yeah, I know. I know it will be a different film. But then there are these scenes where, like, it, like logic's out the window. Like right? he was, they can't remember who this is. There's this guy in the. They have this fight in the. There's a fist fight in the desert. Yes. So, so he he punches a guy and he just gets him down. It's like, who sent you? And he says, so and so. Who? <laughs> and the guy explains to him who this guy is. Oh, it was just a, another random mercenary or something, wasn't it? Yeah, I think? it's just like this guy sent to me. Like, I, oh, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that's kind of like this meme. Like, I guess. <laughs> but that's that scene is what they're they're fighting in the desert, and they're on the top of a sand dune, and they punch one another, and they both sort of topple down the yes. sand dude and they're rolling and rolling and rolling mm-hmm. and i feel this is princess bride and one of them's gonna say as you wish <laughs> but it never came no, just, they stop rolling he oh he overwhelms the uh the, the body and then yeah. he's and then uh kate capshot from wish turns up right <laughs> this is yes. very annoying here so, she sounds very you know it's like this is the worst date ever. Oh, this is Temple of Doom territory, like right there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, actually, she's sort of weird. But yeah, continue your thought. We'll get into her. No, I was just saying, like, there's this moment where it's it's not even a thought. It's just this moment when they yeah. just step away from the fist fight because they need to have a motivation for the guy to to stand up and just for round two. Yes, yeah. <laughs> out of nowhere, they just they just look away and he's just yeah. like, I'm back at it again. And then what she you, just jumps on his neck and then just, what are you doing? I'm helping you. Yeah. Kate Capshaw again. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I sort of liked her uh, in a way. I, you know, she's got this uh, chipmunks type of voice and every once in a while she'll, uh, you know, scrunch her face up and make sort of a weird look. But like she she handles the action scenes pretty well. Like uh, like I, I sort of like the way that she handled the action scenes and that because uh, she was very present in a lot of them. And maybe there's a little bit of credit that is owed because her character was written with a bit of agency too. Like she was doing things and making things happen and a bit of an unusual way. Um, so, I'm but yeah, every, heels, okay. Yeah. But every once in a while, like she'd fall into, you know, that type of a line or that type of voice, but you know, mostly I sort of liked her actually. And I don't think I've seen her in anything else. If I don't even know if she's done anything else. Except By the way, the director is called BJ Davis, like both J Davis, but then on, on mm-hmm. IMDb he's BJ. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Bo is a bit better. <laughs> just to put it in perspective. Uh, I don't even know what she did, Debbie, Debbie Monaghan. <clears throat> it's a, uh, uh, yeah. Let's quickly check, you know. I don't want to give feedback on IMDb. Cause she, you know, she sounds like a like Kate Capshaw, but she looks like uh, sometimes she, when she's angry, she looks like Scarlett Johansson if someone uh, mm-hmm. took a photo against her will. <laughs> yeah. Just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, it's quite a lot of TV. Okay. Straight to video stuff as well. Guess it's it's. I can't really necessarily think of any actresses who had. She was in Deep Steps, Space Nine. Okay. Okay. Um, I can't episode. think of any actresses who sort of would make a leap, say, from B-movies or straight-to-video stuff um, out of that world. Like, you know, she and she would have been a young actress at the time, too, right? So it's... That was her f- fifth credit. Okay. She was uh, in one episode of Married with Children before that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> she was in one episode of Seinfeld. Hmm. Cool. I'm glad she had a. I'm glad she had a career. I and I, you know, I, I sort of liked her in here. And that, you know, because often, you know, the the female tag along character is, you Nine know, five. very poorly written, and there's not much for them to do. But anyway, like she's not that. I think that she's a stronger character than, than that. You know. Well, character is a. Because it almost feels like this is kind of like I had this written down as a talking point, but we're kind of like in this territory already. Like, is this kind of like a bit of a self parody? And like, are these people kind of aware of you know, like, are they in like this sort of territory? Like, you know, to no life, Otto, you have to fuck the death in the gallbladder. <laughs> <laughs> in the gallbladder. Like, like, there's this guy, I'm not sure if this is the colonel or someone else, that like, he has this sort of like taxidermy cabinet of horrors. <laughs> Oh, this yeah, guy yeah, with yeah. a protruding eye. Yes. <laughs> makes exactly one appearance, this cabinet. This yes. whole room. It's just like, oh, I've got this right away. And then we just move on from there. <laughs> and it's meant to, like, these... And what they look like is, like, Halloween masks, really. Like, the, the rubber uh, mm-hmm. mask. That, you know, they look very plastic, rubber, very fake and these are i guess they're supposed to be heads because ernest borgnine is supposed to be scared and intimidated by this mm-hmm. and then we move on really awkward moment <laughs> really yeah, bad I mean, moment so so i yeah i don't know yeah, it's, it's very odd to me so like so like if, if you wanted to kind of just like it's easier to analyze like critically something like legacy of rage because i think there's there's something to 
to you know like hang your hats on like in here it's essentially just it's like uh, actually talking about a comedy mm-hmm. which means like is this a comedy actually like an actively uh attempting to be a comedy movie right is this something that's that's intentional uh no i don't think it's trying to be uh like it's trying to be funny i think i think it's it's aspiring to be uh an an action movie with comedy because you know with that's something that is selling well in the 80s you know the you know and that's where this market is going going towards this is just trying to be a mass appeal um try to make an action movie what do you need to do you need to have set pieces you know it's good to have settings you need to have buddies in some fashion. So, you know, if it's a romantic pairing, so guy and gal on an adventure. Um, it's romancing the stone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, that's not crazy at, at all. Um, well, romancing but, the stone is kind of like Temple of Doom, kind of just knock off, right? Yeah. So, like, these are the elements I think that they're spying for. Like, you, you know, because you wanted to have, it, to have scope and then there's the gunfighting and then all the cliches of the 80s are in here. Like, a, a, you've got, I think, cars going off cliffs. you got gunfire and explosions yep. and uh, paramilitaries serving as henchmen. And, <clears> you know, like, it's just go on and on and on all the things that you would see from you know 80s action violent action movies you know it's in here and they're trying to have a little bit of fun with comedy they're trying to you know they're they're trying to get a semi a lister so they have an academy award winner on the cast like <laughs> mr well, Borgnine. Let's, let's be honest like space rage had richard farnsworth <laughs> but he wasn't a winner <laughs> he was but not it, a winner Uh, but 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 like this is just to say on the production side what do we want this film to be well you know like it's it's action it's pacing it's you know we've got a star we've got this this guy you know brandon lee this uh this lady she tested really well she's pretty she can handle uh you know brandon lee in the the rehearsals like this is going to be great um she handles the weapons well so she's going to work out we've got borg nine He's coming in for a week of work. So it's, it's, I can see how they're trying just to get all their crap together and a movie will come out. Um, but mm-hmm. there's not necessarily, I don't want to say there's not a passion. I think there's sort of a fun and they're sort of going about their business, but uh, there, there's nothing, you know, too terribly ingenious about what's going on here. It's just, you know, they know what they're doing and they're sort of having fun with it. And everyone's <clears throat> doing a good job with their job no one's no one's screwing up really and you know it just sort of comes out as you know an action film of the week but it turns out not too bad well do you think there's passion in here by the way just honestly (sighs) not i feel there's a little bit more passion in uh the god what's the other one we did legacy of rage (laughs) (laughs) forgot what the movie was called (laughs) well done this is just sort of bleeding through the membrane of my mind into it's like the father <laughs> who are you why are you in my flat <laughs> is it the movie or is it is it dementia i don't know but oh, uh, anyway i i feel there's a little bit more you know passion and engagement in that one than i feel here i feel this one is a little bit more stick to the formula boys let's let's do this and I, I get that there's a little bit of passion, I think, in uh, Monaghan and in in Lee. I, I can feel that. I don't necessarily feel that there's a passion here. I think that there's some excitement around 
the action scenes. Oh, let's make sure we do this Jeep chase correctly. Let's make sure these explosions look cool. I think there's a bit of a passion in some of those types of elements, but not on the whole, not in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, making this chug along or certainly not in terms of telling a story. I want to say that this movie kind of tries, like almost successfully rides the line between a spoof and something that's kind of taking itself seriously with some kind of modicum of fashion. But I think that the passion is uh, <clears throat> maybe baked into the fact that it has a lot of German sense of humor in here, which is kind of why I kind of go with the Uwe, Uwe, Uwe Ball connection because German sense of humor kind of tends to be like almost like, are these people serious? <laughs> like, you know, like, are these, like, have you ever seen like German comedy skits? Like, it's just, it's one of those, like, oh, this is outrageous. Like, but, but they go, they commit, like, it commits to the act so so far that you just at some point you're like, is this a joke actually? Are you are you for, are you people for real? <laughs> uh, oh, oh okay, oh, it is a joke. Okay, good. <laughs> or is it? Okay. <laughs> so you know, it's it, it kind of has hmm. this sort of energy about it, but I wouldn't disagree with it and say like, well, maybe there's okay. like, these people are just like, okay, well, <clears throat> we're pros. Let's do it professionally, right? Hmm. But I wouldn't but, be surprised. You know, a if lot this is a, a lot of the pros on hand here are. Uh, are German, right? Because this is a West German production. Now, I don't yep. know. I don't know Bo Davis at all, and I would tend to think that he's probably American. He's um, an American, uh, and I think he's also a former stuntman. Okay, former but, stuntman. So it's but, space rage all over again, dude. Maybe, but these guys are they? They know what they're doing in terms of pacing packaging scenes together setting up scenes framing shots these guys know Mm -hmm. what they're doing uh you know much much more so i i would say uh compared to space rage but this still isn't quite as tight as uh, space hunter for instance no exactly yeah but i yeah but i'm just thinking is this like i I hear these lines of like what's your what's your business and he goes like i don't know behavior man or people management and behavior modification like i just to me this is it's intended as a joke. It's just this joke is kind of delivered in this sort of like Takeshi Kitano deadpan, as in like no one's winking at me. Like they're they're ex- they're kind of in on the joke, but they don't really make an effort to and to make me fully aware of the fact that they that this is a spoof. So they almost committed, like you know, like someone's sarcastic, so someone's so sarcastic that you actually will think that he's he's stupid, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and fair enough. And if this is uh, if, if this is something sort of sort of culturally part of uh you know german writing or german humor um then i can see it that's an interesting point i didn't get any of that i think that it's just everyone doing their job according to uh you know the the call sheets and what the script says basically um but maybe there is maybe there is an element of that that's coming from the script level or uh you know the producers or or something else not sure. Is, Maybe. I mean, for me, for me, this is kind of like the equivalent. I mean, British humor is kind of kind of like that as well. Mm-hmm. Like where you have, um, like I had a conversation with my, with my old boss. Like I don't know, it's just like, he goes like, "Well done, Jakob," as in like, and I'm just like, "Is this sarcasm?" And he goes, "No." Is this sarcasm? No. Is this sarcasm? <laughs> yeah. You know, this recursive loop of because <laughs> you, you don't know. Uh, because you know, it, but it, it's kind of like part of the joke. Where yeah, is this sarcasm? No, but is it? No, yeah. is this so? So it can, like we're watching this film, you can kind of just if if you don't know that this is a joke, you could totally take it seriously and just think that like, these people don't know how to make an action movie. 
oh, I think that's and and that's how I take it, right? Like this this is very similar to Legacy of Rage that this is the sixth grade essay compared to the grade 12 essay. <laughs> you know, that there's still shortcomings in here because, uh, you know, this is a smaller production. It's it's probably a rushed shooting schedule and they've got a few weeks in South Africa and they've got a couple weeks in Namibia and they've got a, you mm-hmm. know, a few days on a set somewhere in London or Germany or something. Um, and it's just, you know, they, they don't have a whole lot of time. They've got the they've got the trucks and they've got the pyrotechnics and they've got the stunt crew for this location on this day and they only have two days to do it and then if they don't get the shots they're moving on so you know it's this rushed and small type of affair compared to what you'd get with a hollywood production where i I, I don't i don't know i mean yeah but you may be right like you may be right that this is just it and i'm just reading into this but i kind of want to believe that this is just um like a naked gun German dry deadpan humor, you know, where you don't quite know whether they're pulling a joke in here, but they are. <laughs> and then, so, which, 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 which kind of just gives this sort of weird layer of like, are they for real? No, they can't be for real, but maybe they are. I don't know. So, so it's a bit, so it's a bit odd. And then, and, and, if, and if that's the case, then, you know, like, I'm, I'm, because other, otherwise it's just it's 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 weird right it's, mm-hmm. it's it's like a movie that it's complete and i mean oh no it would be like the 35 year old pretending he's stupid because he's pulling on the sort of the, the shtick of his comedy is the fact that he's writing the sort of the sort of the the, the great success eh? mm-hmm. he knows how to do this correctly he's just choosing not to right just to um, piss you off <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know maybe maybe there's a piece to that i i don't know i I don't I don't see it myself. Maybe it's there mm-hmm. if if there's sort of that that type of a wit uh within, you know, the storytelling and humor communities within Germany maybe. Uh I don't see it. I, I think, think it it's just by uh, Americans by the way, right? Was it? I don't I don't really know. Because it's different. Philip Gutteridge, Gutteridge and David Frank or yeah. They don't have any other credits. This no, guy just this wrote was... this one thing. By the way, it has three and a half out of ten on IMDb, this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's too low. That's too low. <sighs> Jesus. So if we're reading in, how's how's this for a read-in? Um do you think so <clears throat> I was I so I read a little trivia bit here uh, about this was released, I think, in west germany in november of 1989 mm-hmm. which is when the berlin wall came down as well so is there any relationship there and is it a coincidence that in the last scene that's how they finally got rid of the uh, russian character is they smashed him through a brick wall i want to live in the world where this is intentional as in because it <laughs> so, almost it looks like it's an after afterthought so it could almost mm-hmm. be like uh, guys, can we get on a plane and then just do this one scene? Because it's gonna be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it was just shot well, well before it, and this was just this sort of the wish fulfillment fantasy. Like we need to uh, drive this home. Like just tear down this wall. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And this is a Republican this. movie. <laughs> 
So yeah, that, that's me reaching for connections. But yeah, we can author that Reagan. world. You know, if you want to live in that world, we can author that world where this was intentional. And yeah, <laughs> the, so, the wall uh, and the Russian villain, the Soviet villain, were uh, sort of came down together. Yeah, because like the, you know, like the Russian villains, like straight out of like Rambo two and three. Like, oh yeah, the the music is as straight out of Rocky four. Like it's almost. Just the only thing it's missing is descriptive lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> There's no easy way out. <laughs> well, see, this is the type of this is the type of villain, the villainy that you got in the nineteen uh the nineteen eighties, right? Was the, the, uh, the Soviet with the, a German the, accent, the yeah. Soviets. <laughs> so you know, so th- this is a film that's just sort of piggybacking off of what's uh popular at the time. If yeah. this were in you know, twenty twenty, the the villains would have been uh you know, probably people hiding in caves. In yeah, true Afghanistan. That. So just, just in, you know, in an effort to kind of wrap this up somehow. How does Brandon Lee to bring his background to the uh, to the man of the hour, right, or two hours and forty minutes? Uh, because <laughs> this is the, the world we live in. Okay, um, how does he? What 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 is he like after these two weird odd B movies that he made in the very beginning of his career? Does he does he live in his father's shadow? Does he embrace it? Does he uh, does he actively want to evade it? What what's what's his deal as a as an action as a, as an actor? Like because he clearly now is a starring leading man movies but you know yeah again and this is where that i'd uh yeah i'd love love to dig in and find a little bit more about like his choices and you know the way he would talk in interviews so this is now something i'm going to embark on in the this month see if i can find some more content on this guy because as this is a it's a fascinating question i think with these two films what what is established is that here's a guy who does have some talents he does have some acting chops here's a guy that uh, people, it now it's easy to see this guy in a starring role. This it's easy for to see this guy uh, in a Hollywood film. I, I think that it would be easy to see this guy in an action film. How is he still tethered to his dad's legacy? I don't think he is. I think that's something that is on the side. I think that he. I think he sort of sets himself up here because there's not enough. There's not enough parallels between his work in these two films to his dad's work um, mm-hmm. to say, oh, well, they're sort of one in the same or, you know, if, if in order to hire him, it's just a nepotism type of hire because Bruce Lee is is strictly the world of, um, you know, his his philosophy and his martial arts. Like that's where Bruce Lee was, you know. His philosophy. More notional content. More notional content. <laughs> Always look your opponent in the eye. <laughs> uh, so slap on the. But but Brandon. But Brandon Lee does not and never never did to me feel connected to that. That was just part of his baggage, part of his story on the periphery. Um, so I, I I feel that you it's it's easy for producers for people in Hollywood to see him as a viable option for hiring. So his next film is Showdown a Little Tokyo if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. It makes sense to me. Hollywood sees him as a star in these two films. That makes sense, but they don't entirely trust him to 
maybe Anchor's own movie yet. So we'll pair him with Dolph Lundgren and we'll insist that there's a bit more martial arts just, just cause uh, like that makes sense. Now I'll have more to say about that when I, when I see it. Um, but I think that Brandon Lee has um, made his presence known with these, these films. I think he's shown acting talent. I think he's, he's shown um, some, some star quality to, a, you know, to a point because these are very mm-hmm. limited films. And uh, I don't think he's necessarily, um, you know, the way that if you hire Will Smith's kid for the karate kid, he's Will Smith's kid and you can't mm-hmm. avoid it. I, I don't think there's, I don't really think there's any of that here in, in my view. I, I don't see it. I think he's, he's, he's forged out his own career because it's mm-hmm. different enough from his dad's. Yeah, I mean, but I, I sort of agree. Based on these two films, one thing you can actually say that you know there's there's this of the passing of the torch moment and legacy mm-hmm. of right where I kind of find touching. Mm-hmm. But overall, you could see that almost maybe he's still at a point. I think this is gonna come later, where he's yet to internalize his father's legacy into his own operation. He's almost at a stage of kind of just trying to des- almost almost desperately carve his own path, like blaze his own trail, right? So that's mm-hmm. why he's kind of in the like he's now he's Charlie and Fat, or is now he's Leslie Nielsen, or like Charlie Sheen in Hot Shots, right? <laughs> almost, right? Like he is kind of like Charlie Sheen in Hot Shots, right? So, uh, and I find it fun because he it's not like he's uh, out of his element. No. Because, like, you can see yeah. that he has chops. Like he has this sort of charisma. He has a swagger about him. He, so he's almost like, is a synthesis of this of the eighties action man, right? Because mm-hmm. he has the, um, he has the athleticism that defined like the big hulking figures, and he has the charisma and likability of someone like I don't know Mel Gibson or Bruce or Bruce Lee, or not Bruce Lee, but um, Bruce Willis. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also kind of like has this sort of comedic timing of someone like Charlie Sheen, right? So yeah. it's like a weird hybrid. I don't know. I like I like what I'm seeing. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. And uh, th- these are sort of my impressions, thinking back to what I think of him in the the Crow and Rapid Fire, just going back years ago when I saw those. Charming, likable, but I don't really naturally connect him to his dad i think he's he's separate from that and it's partly growing up maybe during a changing time in hollywood um you know maybe that's part of it maybe part of it too is uh him actively saying i i do not want to be pigeonholed so maybe and maybe that is was the source of a lot of friction with with ronnie Yu. that well we got to get rid of some of this martial arts because i that's that's not who i want to be on on screen and on stage like that's that was my dad and i want to stay away from that um but yeah i I think that he's he's his own man with these Mm -hmm. two films you know they're sort of weird little films but i think he's he he's his own presence he's you know he's not in his dad's shadow yeah i mean i don't want to prejudge the uh, conversations we'll have all throughout the month but i would Mm -hmm. kind of probably say that maybe but judging by where he is now and what i know just in general I would say maybe he's now in a sort of period of actually just trying to uh, like make make sure that he doesn't get pigeonholed because once you get pigeonholed, that's it, right? Like business wise. Um, but I think he, like, you have to kind of just 
I think you'd be a little bit older to kind of internalize certain things and just make sure that, and then make sure that, you know, like, okay, once you internalize certain, these, these, your, your legacy or what, like your past and then what people, people's sort of opinions on you, of, of you into your operation, you can almost free yourself from it by the fact that you acknowledge that they're there. So mm-hmm. Brandon Lee in the crow is different than Brandon Lee here because in here, I think he's, that he's trying to, He's trying to do something else. Like mm-hmm. he's trying to make sure that people don't wouldn't wouldn't remember him for for yeah. just that. For yeah. So I I I, I think. I, but then again, I remain I, I remain to be convinced. Otherwise, I'm actually looking forward to these other films mm-hmm. to see how how the theory kind of just shapes up. But before that, we have some we have some laughing to do. <laughs> yes, I think it's time for our tops. Let's do it. Let's do it, uh, no? Yeah, okay. So I'll jump into my uh, top three here. Um, get my list. Oh, <laughs> I, I thought this was just sort of, sort of funny slash interesting. Um, okay. So for some weird reason, it, it's because the, the Debbie Monaghan character, like she's not who she says she is, and there's this whole bizarre ruse, which means nothing. But anyway... She ends up apologizing for something, not even sure, but she apologizes over and over. At one point she says, I'm trying to apologize. What do you want me to get down on my knees? And Brandon <laughs> Lee's yes, response, hmm, maybe. <laughs> and then the bow and arrow ninja shows up. So I thought that was sort of a hilarious little bit of business. And then with the bow and arrow ninja as well, I thought he was sort of hilarious. So anyway, so that's just sort of a... a interesting sequence um also towards the end there's something that i'm going to call like a 1980s 1990s video game hero shot where monahan has a gun and the camera seems to be on the ground and she's on a platform or she's on the top of a hill and she's running to the right and then these bad guys seem to pop up out of nowhere one comes from behind and she turns around and shoots and one comes from below and she turns and shoots and it just sort of feels like one of the video games where you're the character you're controlling is moving from left to right and is shooting things along the way and then cut to Brandon Lee almost the exact same shot he's running left to right and the camera's following him and they didn't know about the 180 rule no did they no no so (laughs) totally felt like it was like a from pitfall or something and (laughs) anyway uh so that was sort of a neat little uh sequence that's my number two and yeah, number one, the van chase. I thought the I thought the uh, the chases and any of the stuff with vehicles was pretty well done. But there's the van chase where um, Debbie Monahan is driving and Brandon Lee is hanging out of the side of the van shooting. Uh, I think that's that's fairly well done, and I think that's indicative of Brandon Lee saying this is this is the type of action guy I want to be. This is him. I think making a statement trying to be different from his dad's legacy and the the martial arts films and from hong kong in the 70s i think no i want to be an 80s action guy and this is me hanging out the side of a van shooting a machine gun mm-hmm. so that's my number one awesome so i've got <sighs> you guys really know how to win friends and influence people that's a good line <laughs> Yeah, um, the the whole prison break sequence where he just like shoots his way out of out of the prison. That's great. And there, I've got another one where he fights a guy and he does a he twists his neck while he's midair. That's oh, a yeah. good. That's a good moment. 
And the best moment is the slap. I call it the slapathon. <laughs> <laughs> he just parachutes into essentially, but I think it's Cuba, right? Slaps a guy five times, and then he's like, "What's where's where's the jeep?" <laughs> Don't worry, it's four slaps from the woman. Yeah, <laughs> right? it's just it's great. great. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so in Cuba, my... but really close to the Nib- Namibian border. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so somewhere, in, this Cuba is somewhere in Angola, right? If I, I remember so. my African geography correctly. <laughs> but, you know. Anyway, that that's uh, that's that's mine. That's my that's my tops. I've got okay. plenty of more bottoms, but they're kind of fun, fun bottoms, not fun, not really bad bottoms. I mean, I've got I've got really bad bottoms, but anyway, but anyway, go for it. Okay, uh, yeah, and and you know what? Like, I can pick this whole movie in one way or another and say, well, it belongs in a bottom. It's just sort of such a, a weird entity, uh, but it was fun to get through. So yeah, my my bottoms. Some of them are sort of odd or comical. So these these soldiers these. Cuban soldiers, the ones that, mm-hmm. you know, just got slapped in, in your list. Uh, there's this weird moment, which, you know, I don't need, doesn't work. It's not funny, but um, they fall into water, these two, and they come out. And uh, one of the, one of these soldiers, uh, her top is sort of off. So she's just got this t-shirt on underneath and, you know, no bra. Oh. And the, on my list. The, the stunned guy says, you're, you're every woman, Sergeant. You're a woman. <laughs> like she's just like, oh, not funny. Sort of so stupid. This, this is Uwe. This is kind of goes into Uwe Boll territory. Yeah, like, yes. All this needed was like nobody's perfect. And like, there like you go, oh, it's yeah. like a Billy Wilder. <laughs> uh, okay, another one. Ernest Borgnine's accent, just from start to end. Hello, my boy. It's just, just such a. <laughs> That's German. That's his German accent. Uh, brutal. Uh, as much as I love this, I've got to say Brandon Lee as the master of disguise, the mustache pretending to be a Cuban sergeant, and the Clark Kent glasses, and pretending... A, the beggar from Aladdin. The beggar. <laughs> the beggar. <laughs> oh, my God. And he's hunched over. Oh, they'll never recognize me. <laughs> Alms. He's a beggar Alms, from Aladdin. What he is. <laughs> God. Uh, so and just and two, just uh, another sort of slam of the dialogue at some times because it just as one instance, they get to the hotel. Uh, Brandon Lee, he says, "Ah, uh, I think I'll go out later, see what I can see, find out what I can under the cover of darkness." <laughs> See, this is what I'm just thinking. Like, this is this is intentional. Like, I don't know. Maybe you're right. This the is piss. maybe they can't be real. <laughs> I don't buy it, but I'm totally okay if you live in that world, and I'm, I'm willing to concede. Maybe there's a little bit of it creeping in, but uh, anyway, <laughs> I'll see what I can find out under the cover of darkness. <laughs> this is like imagine Leslie Nielsen <laughs> saying it. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know this this take. I'm I'm warming up to more and more. Like this is. <laughs> I I don't think they're trying to get there. I think they're trying to be semi-serious, but it wouldn't take much just to take uh, uh, take Brandon Lee out and put uh, Lee, uh, Leslie Nielsen in. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so all right, that's you know, them for me. 
I can divide them into two lists, one stupid list and one bad list. So one, okay. stu- one stupid list, the watermelon testing of the guillotine. <laughs> and they, the guy tests it and he has the so and he sharpens it as well. Or has the, so he sharpens the guillotine and he has four more melons like lined up. Like, what is he trying yeah. to achieve? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one. Um, another one is Vasquez, you can afford, who lied on a resume with, her, with their friend, like, you are a woman. And they have these accents from nowhere. And then at the end, they steal a helicopter. <laughs> Yes. They're just like, what is happening? Um, and the, the the third stupid one is the uh, what I call the constipation death. There's this guy who just <laughs> just <laughs> this is how I sometimes feel I'll die when I didn't consume enough fiber during the day. <laughs> um, you know. So, and my bad bad list is um, the villain's taxidermy cabinet of horrors. <laughs> Just... Good call, uh, good that's call. one. Um, padding out the runtime with 20 seconds of a 747 landing in four shots. <laughs> <laughs> like when Brandon Lee arrives, there's this sort of shot of him landing. And then there's this, so they, they put a camera on the undercarriage. And then they shoot it again from a different angle. And it's like, how long? <laughs> see that's an indicator to me that they like the idea maybe of having extra footage and maybe having transitions between scenes but no there's no second unit to go out and shoot that stuff (laughs) they just took stock footage no but then again i'm just or is this intentional for me just to piss me off and it's just like we're taking the piss guys uh so that's one and then another one is the um like the fight sequences at the end make no sense. Like they're so like Brandon Lee falls off a roof, and then the the guy who threw him off a roof now they're on the ground, and then something happens, and they're on a different floor again. Like what is happening? True. Yeah. So that's mine. <laughs> um, and we've done it. So yeah. if you want to watch these movies, that's actually kind of easy. Uh, if you have a VPN. <laughs> Uh, Legacy of Rage is on Daily Motion if you if you live in Canada. <laughs> I think, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, so you can you can find it there, and Laser Mission is on YouTube, but you have to Google it correctly because it's not titled as Le- Laser Mission. Yeah, it's there, it's there a few times actually. So try a few and see if you can get uh, get a nice a, copy. Yeah, because there's a 1080p master somewhere on YouTube is just weirdly titled. So yeah. Go and look for it that way. You don't have to, you know, like splurge on a uh, on a DVD. I'm not even sure if you can get these movies on DVD. So that's kind of how. I don't know. I have it on DVD, but it's often absolute garbage transfer. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if you find a garbage transfer on YouTube, that's probably off the DVD. Mm-hmm. Is it four by three on the yep. DVD as well? Yeah, yep. there you go. Like so, the one I watched was widescreen 1080p. It was great, uh, and that's on YouTube. So. Go and look for it. Meanwhile, I think we've done it. Brandy, tell us where you can find where you can find you and your stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. You can find me on clapperltd.co.uk. Lovely. And uh, you can find me at Talk About Film on Twitter, Yakov Flash on Letterboxd, Flash on Film.com. And you can find the show at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere. Uh, where you can all, and you can also go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash uncut dreams pod. Three bucks a month buys you access to pretty much every, well, 
to everything we have in there. And then just a gentle reminder, Erin Brockovich this month as a Soderberg tie-in. Game of Death uh, a week uh, next Wednesday from when from when this thing is released. And then A Child is, Child is Waiting as the uh, March installment of our John Cassavetes Marathon. Also, UncutGemsPodcast.com is where you want to go to just browse our shizzle and then just find all the other episodes that we've uh, we've done. And there's plenty. Also, send us an email, uncutgemspod.gmail.com. Leave us a review wherever you want. Uh, and, oh, you can also buy us a coffee, coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash uncutgemspod. That's where you want to go to leave us a donation. And that's about it for today. I think we've completed the first chapter of our Brandon Lee Appreciation Month. And then next week we'll rejoin to talk about Showdown in Little Tokyo. So look forward to that. And in the meantime... Just, you know, take care of yourselves. Mm-hmm.